we really, this is going to be, you know, every Saturday we have basically an open forum. Um, talk about pretty much the same things. And there's been a lot going on. It seems like there's a lot of um, things coming together, happening at once. Especially when you're talking about what we're working with on Hive. You're talking about we have, you know, a transaction layer now where you can move high fee coins for no fees. So that's obviously a major milestone, moving Bitcoin around zero fees. You have the incentive layer built on top of Hive where now you can basically store to earn. You can prove the fact that you've stored some infrastructure, provided some value and earn in return. I mean, these little layers that are built on top of Hive and when you start to think about it and what Hive's niche is, which is basically storing long-form data and being a transaction layer. So when you start to build around that, right, when people talk about other chains, most of these other chains can be what you would say a layer, call them layer one, layer two. I really want to get away from that terminology, I think it's confusing, and it creates some sort of unnecessary hierarchy. Um, I think if you just look at more like building blocks, each layer has its own purpose and some, and some use case. And I think Hive is one of the few that have understood this, thus have gotten this far. And with something like VSC, you have Honeycomb, you're going to start to unlock other layers being able to attach more easily. And there's just so much that we can go into and in talking about like the near-term future development. Um, hold on a second. We can talk about the near-term future development. Um, they're thinking of putting a legitimate multi-sig on the base, on the base layer where, you know, you can have many, many people join because right now, I don't know if people tune into the Thursday CTT meetings we have. Well, not CTT meetings, they're um, Speak Network meetings. Every Thursday we'll run one and you can join, you can ask questions. And one of the big things is most of DeFi is run by two or three corporations that have the multi-sig, right? Very centralized. The DeFi you know today isn't real DeFi. It's like legitimately a couple of corporations holding your funds and they can be seized. And if you think about all the things that go on in DeFi, you know the government's going to want to get their hands all up in that, try to get as much money out of it, try to regulate it, try to, you say regulate it for safety, but really they just want their money. Like We're not getting paid and that's their incentive to do it, right? So when it gets to a critical point, I've always called it the open cage. Um, people think they have the illusion of freedom, but the cage door can close very quickly. So Hive would be one of the first and the only real true DeFi where you'll actually have hundreds of decentralized on a multi-sig on a base layer that can't be censored. Now you're talking about decentralized storage of funds, DeFi, right? True DeFi, where it's not a couple of corporations that have the keys. So this brings it to, Hive's always been that realistic, practical tool that we can use. Like we're not building for fancy show. We're like building because we need it. It's like, What do we need in this world? What do we need? What opportunities can we provide? And 
that's why we've went the way we went because this is the actual practical route when you gain theory it when you go through it when you've been through it you understand okay yeah you can't have two corporations running a multi-sig like that's lazy that's not that's not what it is um, so i mean some of these things just come down to if you're actually really wanting decentralization they become pretty obvious but if like you're just in it for, to, to make some money or um, some people might be ignorant, you know, they might think that it's the wild, wild west. Now it's always going to be that way. And um, with poker, I've been through this. It was the wild, wild west. You could play high stakes poker, no KYC. And then one day they froze everyone's funds. How do they freeze the funds? They went to the companies and they said, hey, shut it down. It's the same thing. Same thing can happen. It literally happened overnight. There was no warning. That's the importance. Welcome, Task. I don't know if this is glitched and I'm talking to myself because Matt isn't coming in. Can you hear me, Task? Yeah, I hear you. Thank you. Ah, okay. Because that was like a half talk where I'm like, I don't know if I'm talking to myself, so I'm just going <laughs> to go off on a tangent. But um, it's, it's okay to talk to yourself sometimes, Dan. Don't worry. Uh, I do it a little bit too much. It, it was actually a really nice chat. It was a really nice point you were making. Um, I, I was sorry. I was just in the background setting up the threadcast and just distributing the information around. So I uh, appreciate your uh, introductory spiel. It's very, it's very important stuff, man. It's very, very important stuff. And hopefully, slowly but surely, you see people start to understand this in blockchain. You know, there are a few characters out there that really understand what you're saying. And it's going to start to become common... Um, mainstream knowledge in blockchain in my opinion in the near future um you, you see i've heard the term real DeFi used several times i mean the community on pulse chain uses it and hex i don't know enough about those projects to say whether or not they're actually decentralized but they're making the point the point is they think they have real DeFi, uh, and, and we objectively have it with what we're building for sure you, there's no one that can debate what's going on and if we say real DeFi, meaning um, massive multi-sig escrow accounts that hold the funds, not two or three people, right? Zero fee base layers that allows the layers twos to clear instantly to the layer ones. And I, or I should say the, um, the smart contracts layers to clear to the, um, what would you call it, tech data availability layer. Uh, so as a result, you don't have effectively a layer one and a layer two, and you don't have the smart contracts included in the layer one, thus bulking it, overbulking it. You have a dedicated layer for each function, and they're able to seamlessly clear to the base layer because there's zero fees. And because you have massive multi-sigs, um, which is coming soon on Hive by the looks of it, we will have real DeFi, real true DeFi, without having to rely on two or three people with a, with a signature. Um, that can just rug pull, as we you know, as we come to know the term. Um, yeah, and I, I just think that's going to be an important thing. It's going to be an important thing. It's legitimate. It's the way it's supposed to be done, and because it's feeless, it works seamlessly. And we've seen this work now. We've seen this on VSC with the Bitcoin transfers, where you can transfer Bitcoin, you can transfer half a cent of Bitcoin, and there's zero fees. You know, where else can you do that? And, and it happens instantly. So we're going to be able to demonstrate this in the near future. It's going to be practically implemented. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's because Bitcoin offers liquidity in a way that really nothing else is, is going to be able to if it keeps going the path it is. 
Um, so being able to transfer Bitcoin around with no fees is just going to be massive because I always look at that as like our entry into the real world, the or the, the, the centralized world, the fiat world. Um, you know, my question has never been because a lot of people say, hey, how do we get hype on more exchanges? And I said, no, how do we get a better technology to seamlessly and trustlessly go from high or HBD to Bitcoin? Um and Bitcoin on the base layer, but eventually it's going to be called Bitcoin Lightning or whatever. Like um, the the core, the base layer is going to become unusable for most people in the next five to ten years if game theory plays out correct. Well, um, they're pushing everyone to the centralized layer too, so that's where the fiat gateways are going to be. I've only just seen the fees on Bitcoin recently. We're like twenty books. We're twenty books the other day. Yeah, I spent. I sent. Um, I sent a but you know, Caesar. I sent a buddy. Um, uh, little bar tab I owed him. I was like, oh, yeah, I said, you some Bitcoin. Um, so it was only like a hundred bucks and it was $35 fee. And I was like, good Lord. No, I didn't, wasn't even thinking. We've been this <laughs> literally for years. We've been saying this for years now. Uh, at some point, people will look back in history and be like, oh gosh, these guys were actually getting it more or less right, you know? And so now here we go. The fee's going to go up on Bitcoin. Uh, there's talk of a fork. This is very interesting. This is something that maybe it's a curve curveball that we haven't. Um, I don't think it's going to work though. I think I think the bankers are going to keep control of their chain, which is effectively what Bitcoin base layer is becoming. Um, it's going to be interesting. What yeah. happens. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. But if they do fork successfully and go to a, a, a different block system where they can have faster transfers, then the maxes won't probably want to use it. Probably want to. It, it, really, it could really split the community. Whereas what we've proposed, and the beautiful thing is what we proposed um, works on both. Both types of Bitcoin forks, you know, we can wrap any type of Bitcoin onto onto the high VSC ecosystem and transfer it with zero. Yeah, I mean, there's so a game theory Bitcoin. Let's say you fork. Well, Bitcoin's not. It's you wouldn't keep the Bitcoin name, that's for sure, because it's not. Nothing would accept the fork. That's one of its features. Is oh, you you never forked a chain. That's how ninety percent of the hash rate lost in the Bitcoin cash battle, because the exchanges all decided to keep Bitcoin as the Bitcoin and. Bitcoin Cash had to fork, and no one accepted the fork, um, even though that was where, where most of the hash rate want, um, wanted to go. But let's gain through this. You fork Bitcoin. Okay, so what? Because what is it? If we're being nakedly honest, what is Bitcoin? It's a liquidity layer for very rich people, eventually governments and elites. It's going to be a settlement layer. The SWIFT system was weaponized. That was going to be obvious. That that was obvious. It was going to happen because it was centralized, right? So if you're the elites, you need a playground where no one controls it, but only the elites can play in it. That makes sense because that's that's a compromise that all of them can can come to. So if you fork Bitcoin, you don't have the liquidity. So it's like, what can Bitcoin do? Like you need two two things for a network. You need either liquidity, which is going to come from some source, either a good source or a bad source. They're all bad sources. So, you know, either a centralized source or a non-centralized source, but you need liquidity. Um, and, or a network effect and use case. Bitcoin's use case is its liquidity. <laughs> it's, it's, that's what it is. It's liquid. You can ch change it out and it can't be seized, right? So that's, that's a very awesome use case, but that's for a very small percentage of the world. It's for the rich people. Most of the world needs stable, no fee. And they just need a way to like store in the strongest currency at the time without getting wrecked by their current currency, right? So you need a use case and a network effect. So you either have liquidity or use case network effect. Hive went the use case network effect route. 
which will eventually gain liquidity because of its use case. So, I mean, it's like you fork Bitcoin, you just, you're just shooting yourself in the foot because the, you know, the, the elites aren't going to play with your chain. And if you have a volatile asset that has no liquidity and no use case because the fees and all that, I mean, even if they tried to go big block, you might as well go Bitcoin Cash or, hey, Bitcoin SV, why not? Um, we already know that's the same route as like a Solana. It's a fat node. You shouldn't store everything on chain, like especially JPEGs and images and all that. And audio files, that's a very bad idea to store on the layer one. Bitcoin has done it in an elegant, weird way. It's kind of like Hive-esque, where it's like, I don't know who set the parameter, if they even meant to, but like the ability to store just a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of like an audio file or like a JPEG and now you can make it art and you can kind of stunt and you have like a real NFT sort of deal. I thought that was cool. Um, but regardless, the fees are going to go up on Bitcoin. Um, they have to in game theory or there's no security for the network. So um, forking Bitcoin is useless. Um, and Bitcoin really doesn't have a use case outside of liquidity and not being censored, which is huge. It's a badass use case. Don't get me wrong. But Hive has the ability to do that plus add a stable coin um feelish transfers value for value opportunities um the ability to preserve your form long form you know i can go on and on about what hive does but the use cases is there for hive yep yeah exactly um yeah it's very interesting actually because most of the world looks at it as a store of value and to some extent it is but it's not a store of value for everybody that's for sure maybe a store of value can't be for everyone ultimately People who have money that can play with, but for most right. people, they cannot have volatility at all, you know? And that's like 90% of the yeah. world at this point and it's, growing. It's certainly a liquidity layer for the wealthy. That's what it's become. And, and I don't think the, the world's quite come to terms with that yet. And again, that's something we've been saying for months. Um, and that, that's it. Like, if you, if you can then ha have a, a separate layer that operates in a more lightweight way that is actually decentralized with no CEO, no pre-mine, no, no venture capital behind it, um, that's neutral, that allows you to transact for free. So now you can do a wrap from Bitcoin through a decentralized bridge onto a, a, a massive multi-sig on the other side and then transact with that Bitcoin for zero fees, uh, which is what we currently have with the BSC. Then um, you, you are able to provide a liquidity layer for the, for the people. Uh, I look forward to that happening, regardless of what type of forking situation yeah. that's the one thing that's good about bitcoin um is the fact that you can attach to it you know i can't attach to chase bank you know it's like i can't just build a layer and a bridge into chase bank and start using it but with bitcoin i can so bitcoin is trojan horse it's done the work that hive could never ever be accepted for because nobody wants like hive destroys all the middlemen so nobody wants it in terms of the centralized people because it cripples them. You know, it's like freedom of speech, zero fee transfers. It's like trying to sell water, you know, or air. Um, but what can you do? Is like, how do you monetize that? High fees, of course, you can monetize push to a centralized layer two. Um, but that's a great thing for us because guess what? We can just attach to Bitcoin. So Bitcoin's liquidity is, um, if you look at it in that way, it's like a. It's like a bank you can just build a bridge to and you don't have to ask for permission. So that's huge regardless. And I always do believe Bitcoin will be uh, quote unquote decentralized and censorship resistant um, to a great extent. Now it might be a handful of cabals that run it, but you know, I don't ever believe one is going to be able to control and dominate the network. Therefore you will have a censorship resistant 
um, liquidity layer that you can tap into, which is, and then you go to any fiat you want. So, you know, we went the practical route, you know, like I used to think, oh, exchanges, exchanges, exchanges. Now it's like, no, let's get the Bitcoin. And then you can sell your Bitcoin on any exchange you want. Why not, well, you know, piggyback off of Bitcoin success. Why do we have to do all, or even try? And it's out of our hands anyway. We couldn't, you know, you can't force it into reality. So. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about a man who would like to um, build a separate layer on top of JP Morgan's system. Well, maybe he wouldn't, but I'm sure he'd like to play around with it if he could. I want to bring in Taskmaster in a second here. Um, he's going to come and bring some of his expertise in this, in this chat. Um, but before we do that, this is episode 97 of CTT, Community Token Talk podcast. And we are going to talk about um, various things in the crypto world today, various things happening on Hive, various exciting things. And also we're going to talk about the repo loans market because we've got an interesting diagram put out here today. And I think Tass got some really interesting information to add here. Um, and that's going to be very important and very, very um, um, critical to the the parallel economies that we're building here and the understanding of that and how that system works is, is of critical importance in my opinion. It's going to be a very interesting chat. We also had a reply from Justin Bonds this week that I'd like to talk about a little bit later. Um, Justin Bonds is very on a very similar path to us, I think, in terms of his understanding of what crypto should be. Uh, and he, he actually re retweeted some of our work recently, so shout out to him. Um, I just want to mention to people that are listening, please get involved in the thumbnail competition. Um, if you want to make the thumbnail to the show, it should say CTT, episode 97. Give the show a title. Uh, as you listen to the show, just listen to what we're talking about and, and choose any title that you want for the things that we're talking about and put it onto your thumbnail. And the people that take part in that will be given nice rewards to on the Threadcast, approach your thumbnails on Square and, and Landscape in the Threadcast. And we'll be rewarding the people for taking part uh, and choosing a winner that goes onto the, uh, the, the thumbnail for the show. Um, again, Leo Thread is there where you can get rewarded for your, for your contributions to the show live during the show. I see loads and loads of people commenting. It's really, really wonderful to see. We'll do our best to get to as many of you as possible. Certainly the people asking questions. Um, if you've got a question, write question um, first so we can see it and then write your question underneath and we'll do our best to get to that uh, during the show. And um, yeah, let's get started. So let's bring in Taskmaster here. How are you doing, Taskmaster? Doing pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good, actually. Um, we had a bit of a heavy night out last night, um, and I should probably be more shaky than I am right now. I'm, I'm supporting oh, human you, you, level here for you, some reason. Just, I, I didn't you, even miss my workout this you morning, man. You've been to a workout already, Rob. Bloody hell. Oh, you young guys. When, when, you, when you get to be my age, you know, it's like a late night is 10 o'clock. Yeah. A little bit later now. I'm not feeling young anymore, man. I'm, I, I normally really suffer. I'm just having. A, I'm, I'm on a roll right now. I feel like the day's it's going to be a good day. Maybe I'm going to pay for it all tomorrow. We'll see. But good day. It's like two in the afternoon where you guys are, or something. Day, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days where you didn't roll out of bed till the <laughs> second football game of Sunday, four thirty, getting up. We did. We did see, however. Probably for the first time in history, in my history with this anyway, we saw Dan dancing last night for about th three minutes. Maybe we got we got treated to the charms of Dan's Dan's movement. Three seconds. I don't even know if he remembers it. To be honest, it was three seconds. 
The man that normally doesn't move that much in the club is like a statue sometimes, you know. It's it's a special technique to attract the ladies, I think. I don't know. But he was having a, he was having a move last night, yeah. So it was, uh, it was a sight to behold. <laughs> Until he realised I was watching him, then he stopped. <laughs> but all good, all good. Um, so there were lots of things this week that happened. Um, some people wanted to talk about the ledger stuff. Um, some people wanted to talk about the the drama in USDT. Um, uh, there's a couple of other things, but I'm kind of like. To be honest with you, I haven't followed it, so I'm not up to speed. I'm not the best guy to comment in it, on it. If you guys want to mention any of the latest happenings in crypto, you're more than welcome. But I'm kind of over it because we, everything we've been saying for the last two years, two and a half years, has kind of generically addressed all of these points already. <laughs> any, any drama that happens in crypto is just like default, refer back to the previous episodes of CTT where we talked about exactly such an event happening. <laughs> Yeah, and they get they get drilled into the ground. Everybody talks about it. I mean, Ledger was old news by Wednesday or whatever. The, the other thing as well is that we're getting to a point on Hive, and I, I feel this so much. I don't know what everyone else feels in the room listening to this. It'd be interesting in the comments in the in the Leo thread. I feel like Hive's starting to move, man. It's starting to get busy. Like there's a lot happening, and there's a lot coming out these days. Maybe that's just in our world on Hive because we're working. Everything we've been working on over the last two or three years is now starting to come to fruition. Um, but, yeah, it's exciting times. And I- well, I, I think what Dan kicked off with and touched upon, I, I think that shows the enormous potential of Hive. And I was very happy to see that uh, Voltec was able to, to get his point across and to get, you know, consensus with from the code developers. Um you know, here's a guy who is not part of the core development team. Uh, to my knowledge, he, he's not running a witness node, but he is developing a, a side chain. He had a solution that he could do on layer two, but it's enhanced by doing change at the base. He put forth an idea with a couple of the core developers, block trades, uh, and some others. And, you know, Block Trades threw together a quick post and said, you know, based upon our preliminary research, we will implement this, not in this coming home fork because we're already on course with that, but in the next one. I, I mean, for a decentralized system and to get a technical change like that, basically, maybe a few weeks ago, all of a sudden the development team says, okay, we'll put it on the uh, hard fork schedule. Yeah, task, you know, like this, there's, there's more to this story than meets the eye. Um, Voltec was very apprehensive about it. He was very, because he's like, he's, he's a young guy, he's coming in, he's kind of come out of nowhere and built this layer two, worried that he's treading on toes as well, because other people have been working on layer twos as well on the chain, you know. Uh, but it just so happens that they, they will both end, end up complimenting him. And uh, Voltec had some good chat chats with people at HiFest. HiFest was essentially meeting, shaking hands and speaking to people. I think that really calmed him down and made him feel comfortable, or more comfortable. He made other people feel more comfortable with him as well, and so that was good. And then, he, then after Highfest, he came. He came to me and he said, um, "We need to have a change to layer one on Hive." And I'm like, "Whoa!" <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, interesting. Could be hard." And he's like, "Yeah, but for VSC to work, he basically said, look, if you want to, Hive's got a maximum of forty signatures, right? Because of the size of the, the block signing for, for when you." Um, include that information into the block. So it's got like a limit of 40 signatures, otherwise you make the blocks too big, or you fill, fill the blocks. So there's a cap, that cap limit there. And, and then he's like, well, 
if we want this to succeed and we want like three, four billion dollars in the ecosystem, however much we trust the hive witnesses, does it really look good to have 20 or maximum 40 people operating a, uh, um, a multi-sig account? And is that credible? Right? And then he, then he showed me this technology that other chains are also working on, but they won't be implemented as fast. I think Ethereum's having a go at it. Polygon's having a go at it. These uh, SPL signatures that reduce the size of the multi-sig signatures by like orders of magnitude. So you can start including multi-sig signatures of like 500 to 1,000 people on one account to make a transaction happen. Which effectively, you know, in, in that sense of it, removes all the risk of these rug pulls where you've got layer twos that have got three, two, three, four people that hold the keys, right? Uh, which have got billions, bi literally billions of dollars staked into them. Um, so if Hive comes out with this, um, it would, it would first of all make it credible, it would make it, it'd make it believable that, that, you know, I could see several billion dollars stored on Hive because of this technology. Whereas if, if, if they can turn around and say, why do we store our, our money there? It's only 20 of you that can make the signature. What if you run off with the money, right? It's, it's, a, fair, it's a fair point. This takes that point away completely. And so he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, yeah, we need to have that. Um, but it was, it, it was explained in, in a way that, you know, the dev, it's like dev talk to English talk, you know? And it, it took me a long time to explain it and work out what he was trying to say. And we chatted back and forth a little bit, got it, got it slickened down. Um, and then we started kind of mentioning it on a few of the podcasts and things. Because um, we were worried that, the, you know, if, if, you, if you ask this question in the wrong way, and it's asked in a brash way or, or at the wrong time, then maybe the people in the core team turn around and go, no, we're not doing it. It's not the way we want to take Hive. And then we have to have like a, a long drawn out debate over it. And of course, we don't want that to happen. Um, so so th this multi-sig is very important for VSC and really any other, any other layer, smart contract layer that comes on the chain. And um, yeah, Voltec was talking about it in a space. We mentioned it in a space a couple of weeks ago. And um, block trades popped up out of nowhere and said, yeah, be interested in implementing this. Can we go, can we talk about it a bit more? And it was like, we're like, yes. Yeah, he actually, he actually gets it. He's actually interested in this. Um, and then um, Voltec did a presentation to the core team. And it was funny because I thought he was going to take like an hour and a half. He showed me the presentation that he did. He's like, hey, check this. And I you know, uh, checked it was okay. And then um, he went and did it. We were in another meeting at the time. He, he turned up in the meeting like 10 minutes later. And I'm looking at the thing going, what's Voltec coming to the meeting for? He should be in this other meeting pitching the, the SBL signatures for the multi-sig. And he's, uh, he just comes in and goes, yeah, they, 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 they want to do it. They want to do it almost straight away. Um, so that's a big deal. That's a big deal for Hive. It's going to put Hive on the map because there's only a couple of chains that have managed to do this. Well, they haven't managed to do it yet. They're doing it. And it looks like with the way that the Hive multi-sig system set up already, well, the, the, um, the uh, what's it called, the DHF, it looks like there's only a couple of simple modifications to make to that. Well, here's me and non-dev saying a couple of simple modifications, but you know, to, to the point where we can get to these SBL signatures incorporated into a separate uh, escrow um, multi-sig account that's got massive signature numbers on it, and uh, and away we go. That's going to be really really cool. Yeah, it's going to be necessary if we want to really grow in that regard and start, you know task grand idea of a um, new banking system on Hive. That's the thing about Hive. There's so many ways it goes. It can do so many different things. 
um, because it can attach so many different layers can be built using just the transaction and the data availability layer. Um, and everyone else has been focused on smart contracts, so that's great. So there's a lot of great smart contract technology out there we could tap into because that's the layer we're focusing on now. So. Yeah, so cool. So, so cool. Um, See, what I, I like about this, and you hear a lot of discussions in cryptocurrency about money, but nobody talks about the monetary system and what is the monetary system? What's a monetary system? And basically, a monetary system, and I don't care whether what your money is, and I don't care what the type of system, whether you're using cash and fiat currency and gold coins or, or whatever, your, your monetary system basically is the combination of accounting and communications. You know, let's take cash. I walk into Dan's store. I see an item there that's $10. What's the accounting? I better look in my wallet and make sure I have $10. Okay, I got two $10, so I got 20. I can afford this. I take the item up to the counter. Dan's behind the counter. He said, that'll be $10. I reach into my wallet. There's the communication. I hand them the $10. Over the top, we're able to settle. So it's a combination of accounting, communication with the ability to settle. Obviously, we've gone a lot further than the physical cash realm. But what I like about this is what it's doing with Hive. And, and, and when Dan was talking about Bitcoin and the forking of Bitcoin, the problem with Bitcoin and the problem Bitcoiners have is they talk about Bitcoin as money, but it's like, okay, let's talk about Bitcoin as a monetary system. If we're talking accounting, which is ledger, and communication, which in this era is a digital network, the problem is, is Bitcoin's a shitty digital network. It's a crap network. So what we have going on with, with Hive and people say, I'm here for the technology, ha, ha, ha. There's a lot of truth to that from the monetary perspective. The more that Hive becomes a technically advanced communication system, digital network, the better it is for the monetary systems we tie to it, whether it's our base layer stuff or whether it's something like vault building that we incorporate in. So this is something always to keep in mind that as block trades and the core development team take start more of these ideas and starts to implement some more of these technologies into our base coding this only makes the network that much stronger yeah absolutely uh, you know this is what i really like i like this narrative discussion we had a couple of months ago because i think a lot of people are like well what's going to be our key narrative um certain other chains that we that we used to you know people used to work on on hive and steam they've gone and made their own chain and they focus on one narrative and it's been successful for them they've got recognition for it um but i just i can't see hive with one narrative i just can't see it there's no way it's just going to be a group of narratives that we that we we're all welcome to go focus on and push to the, the outside world um it's never going to be one centralized group of marketers that go out and say oh yeah this is hive's narrative um we can we can set up websites that explain all of those narratives maybe that'd be, be a good idea but there's just so much that's going to happen so much potential here um well, well, I think the narratives uh, are going to be tied to what services you offer. So, you know, nar narrative number one is swap your Bitcoin or move your Bitcoin with low fees and, no, you know, three second settlement time. Um, you know, there's a service, uh, you know, speak network, <laughs> you know, decentralize your storage. 
there you go. There's another narrative. Um, you know, we have all these different, the more services you offer, the narratives write themselves. And that's the problem that I think with Hive is everybody's trying to find the narrative. There is no narrative because our service offerings right now are limited. Actually, that's the case across Web3, other than, you know, just speculation and price go up to to a billion dollars in Lambos. What really is there in Web3 in terms of services? So this is where, from a financial perspective, the idea of uh, high financial network, collateralized loans, bonding, all this stuff. Now you have a narrative that writes itself because you have services. It's like, you know, take your Bitcoin okay, maybe you wrap it and you tie this to VSC and now you can take your Bitcoin and collateralize it for a loan and get HBD to go buy a house or whatever you want to do. So these are the things that as we increase our service base, uh, you know, whether it's through gaming, whether it's through social media, whether it's through finance, whether it's through whatever areas you want to discuss, then you, you start promoting that in whatever tentacle you're you're interested in. So if you're not interested in the financial, fine, but you might go out there and talk about Ragnarok because you think Ragnarok's the greatest thing ever invented. Okay, cool. And a non-gamer is going to say, Ragnarok, well, I don't care about that. Well, okay. Then somebody else starts talking about the financial aspects. It's like, holy crap, you guys can do that? That's awesome. And so I think that's what one of the central premises is when you look at this ecosystem and the foundation that's being constructed in terms of the technical side of things, that can lead to a whole lot more, not only for developers, but for business people, for entrepreneurs who decide to come in and say, I have a decentralized database that costs me no money to utilize. I can use this as at least a partial backend, A, for data storage, then couple that with IPFS through Speak Network, and I got a built-in authentication network through the Hive uh, key system. So all of a sudden, if I'm somebody building a business, it's like, wait a second, there's three big pieces that we're taking care of that my IT people don't even need to worry about. They just have to tie into this stuff. That's huge. Yeah, look at Hive as um, it's just it's a toolkit. It's a parametered set, para- a parallel economy. Um, so... Anyone can come on Hive, use the front ends, build a game, use the immutable database. Um, where the real power, all of that's power, it's all real power, but what's, what I'm understanding more and more about the direction is HBD is one of the most powerful tools. If you really think of the parameter of HBD, um, so many people are always thinking about, oh, attract, 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 um, so people can build you know, sort of like um, starting a town, you want to get people in so you can get the liquidity in. Um, Hive is a parameter tool, right? So you have a centralized system and then you will have a decentralized system, the potential of a great decentralized system. So there's people that aren't worried about liquidity. They're more worried about tools. They're more worried about a parameter, something that actually works. Bitcoin is volatile. It can't be that... HBD. We can always mirror whatever asset we deem the most stable. That is so powerful because you can't seize it, yet you can piggyback off of its value. That is very, very, very powerful. That is a parameter. That is an economy that anyone looking from a distance can say, hey, that's useful to me. So there's it's more of looking at two different worlds. We're building a different parameter world 
One is becoming tighter and tighter and harder and harder to use and more control, more centralization. A lot of people don't want to keep all of their money in that world. What other world do you have? And that includes stocks, that includes everything. The centralized banking system as a whole, the SWIFT system or whatever system you're using. Then you have Bitcoin, right? Or gold, precious metals, physical. If you're doing anything non-physical, you're entering that same banking world, that same centralized world where you're still trusting somebody. So it's really been Bitcoin, but Bitcoin can't do what HBD can do. So it's, you can say you have the centralized world, you have the Bitcoin liquidity world, but really HBD is where the power is at. That is where someone can look at that and say, hey, this thing can't be seized, right? So I will make the liquidity. I will use this parameter tool because I understand the use case. I understand what it can actually do. To be able to put a portion of your savings, and this is also helping people who have no savings and just want to not lose what they have, into a censorship-resistant dollar, for say, whatever we deem it to. Right now, it's a stable coin, which is called the most stable um, store value you can find, is absolutely massive. So it's, it's more about making it better, becoming more distributed, making sure we're censorship-resistant, it's not so much, oh, we need to go find the destiny. Destiny's coming upon us. We will be found, right? Because there's people who need it. And that's the whole thing about crypto. Nobody's really needed it on the crypto Twitter. And crypto Twitter's become like the CNN. And that's where you think, like, that's the real crypto world. That's not. It's fake bullshit. There's a real world underneath that's going on. And, you know, we see in Venezuela and Cuba, beyond everywhere, right? It's not on television. People aren't talking about it. But it's growing, and it's growing, and it is a real thing. It is another parallel world that we can live in where we have our own control. They can't seize it from. So, you know, I, that's the way I look at it. I look at it like strapping. We've built something so damn powerful that's such a threat, but also such a solution to so many people. Um, that you know, it's just like the hockey stick effect. Um, so yeah, it's a powerful, powerful tool set, toolkit that is growing with each layer. We don't even know what it's going to become, right? Who the hell would have thought it would be up an incentive layer five years ago, um, and you know, be able to be a transaction layer for high fee coin? Like we have no idea what kind of layer because each layer turns higher into something different. Uh, you know, we're only a hop, skip, and a jump away now from certain services. So one that I can think of, for example, is um, deposit your, your Bitcoin uh, via the VSC wrapping bridge and you receive HBD, right? And the escrow account on the VSC wrapping bridge will hold, say, $1,000 worth of Bitcoin and you'll get three or $400 worth of HBD. Um, and then now you can go transact in stablecoin value and you can use V4V app to spend in various places that accept lightning payments. Um, that is that is very powerful stuff. That's very very powerful stuff. I mean that system that system's already there. You know, Cal Cal from Leo Finance uses that uh, all all the time on the other bridges on the other systems. But there'll be a point where guys like him will use it on high because that 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 door is now open. That service is is now uh, possible using the VSC and Hiveco. Um, someone's just got to build it. Right? It's not um, it's not built yet. But the um, the foundation's built. It's proven. We were sending Bitcoin to people a few weeks. A couple of weeks ago, 
Um, so it works with zero fees. Um, so, and, and that's just, you know, one off the top of my head that I can think of. There's going to be multiple different services that we can't even think of that are now the doors open to that can be built. And those are practical use cases. And this is coming. This is coming for sure. Uh, I think um, if I can interject here, one thing that we have to keep in mind, and Matt talked about building uh, them, these networks have to be built out. We're, we're basically building stuff from the ground up. And when you look at the existing financial system and you look at uh, the repo market and what pre preceded that, I mean, these networks, these connections, these uh, uh, systems have been in place for 60, 70, 80 years and that they've been building them and evolving them. And you look at the central banks and their, their move from electronic systems to digital networks. You look at Visa and MasterCard. You look at, you know, the proof of, uh, uh, not proof of, uh, point of sale systems. I mean, all this stuff has been built over the course of decades and decades and decades. And, you know, if you look at this kickoff point as when Bitcoin came into being, what's that, 14 years ago, 15 years ago? And really, I mean, with what we're talking about now, a lot of this stuff we're only talking the last few years that we've gotten serious about building this stuff, at least when it comes to Hive. So, I mean, there's every reason for us to be laying the foundation. And when you're trying to compare us to what's going on in the existing financial system and saying, well, how come we don't have this? And how come we don't have that? It's like, because we've been at this for about 18 months and vault has been coding away as much as he can, but vault doesn't compare to JP Morgan's uh, IT department. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, I want to, I want to switch. So I want to get onto the repost thing. I saw a really nice, diagram of the repo uh, market and system and i want to want to bring task in to talk about that uh, i think that's going to be critical for all of us to, to to understand at least a little bit how the current repo system works and how we're going to replicate that on high uh, but before we do that there are a couple of other items i wanted to discuss um verbal shadow i'm just going to post this in the link in the thread in the sorry in the twitter feed uh, so if you check this um I've just posted a comment in the in the Twitter. Uh, I can't get Leo Finance to work. It looks like we've broken it. <laughs> um, we're already up to like 183 comments like 10 minutes ago. So I don't know what we're on now, but it won't we won't refresh. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm in the Twitter um, comments and I've posted a link from Verbal Shadow. He's a long-term Hive user and listener to the show. And he, I thought he wrote a really nice blog here. I just want to, I want to read a little bit because um, I just thought he was really well done. And this whole idea of us all being articulate in, be, in being able to discuss these things to the various different people that could use pushes the narrative. And I think it's very important that we become articulate. In it. So he says, um, Ethereum has failed as being the world computer due to increasing transaction costs tied to demand. Despite recent scaling efforts, that may not solve the issue long term, even if sharding is implemented effectively. Bitcoin has also failed as an actual currency because of issues as slow, such, such, such as slow transactions, block size limitations, and the push for users to hodl rather than transact on it regular, regularly, which will only become worse due to factors like minor centralization or high transaction costs, making security for the network too expensive in terms of dollars. It is instead now heralded as a store of value. We think it's a store of liquidity uh, on CTT. Um, there, are, there is a strong argument that it's not even that, correct? To survive, Hive needs to be seen as a project that has kept its promises. More importantly, it needs to be seen as a project that has solutions already in place. 
it's important to remember not to a stay away let's say we're different from all the other projects because that's what all the other projects that turned out to be scams have said b don't use jargon or buzzwords like web3 hodl nft etc these immediately sour or turn off minds that have been exposed to news of scams out there and c make forward-looking statements don't well, I, this is saying don't make forward-looking statements these can be viewed as promises and we don't want to look like every scam out there only talk about what we already have working when talking to people outside the community and i have to admit we're we're somewhat guilty of that because uh, we like to talk about what we're working on months ahead of time so he says it's important to talk about what we already have working and he gives a list here Layer one, data and currency. Layer two, smart contracts. Tokens that can be rented and loaned out and earned passively on. Off-chain data storage. HBD stable-ish coin. Circular economies in some locations. Borehole projects. <clears throat> I don't want to call them circular economies anymore. I want to call them parallel economies because they're not circular. It's parallel economies. We're injecting money in by upvotes. People are creating value. And the more value add that you create, the more upvotes you're going to get. Um, and then if you've done the work in your local area, you can then go spend that, those earnings into the local economy. That's a parallel economy. And there's no, no KYC involved, and it's not possible in that process, which makes it a legitimate parallel economy, not, not a circular economy. Um, borehole projects, value for value, digital identities, and account recovery. Those are things that we have and that we have working that we can beat any other chain hands down on. So those are the things that we should talk about. He says the pitches... Um, here are a few pitches that attempt to live by these rules. For if you pitch into a content creator, he says Hive is a collateral is a collection of systems that support creators by giving them tools to support themselves and the freedom to say whatever they need to say without the risk of being demonetized. For free speech advocates, if you're talking to a speech, free speech advocate, Hive is a collection of systems that enables you to live in a world where you say where what you say matters and will stay on the record even if some portion of the internet might disagree with you and wants you deplatformed. For the altruistic, Hive is a collection of systems that helps people in need from giving stable currency in locations that are not stable, building needed services in the community, allowing a voice where they would previously have none. For the decentralization nerd, Hive is a collection of systems that actually does the things that everyone in the decentralization sphere says we need. You can think of it as a Web 1.1 with all the decentralized greatness of Web1, but supercharged with all the good things from the latest HTML, JS, and free micro. And for the layman, Hive is a collection of systems that free you from having to give up your personal information just to have a PR a presence on social media. This is just the start of what it can do. Feel free to explore and find out things that delight. So I, I like his point is taken, right? We need very clear, very simple status, uh, statements. We need to think about who we're targeting, and we need to play to high strengths. Uh, often we play to high projections in the future where it's going a bit too much. Um, and as, as these projections become true, as we build them out and they become use, use cases, then we're going to have the ability to talk about what it can already do even more. You know, and that's going to be a really, really cool. But yeah, I just I, I appreciate that article for Verbal Shadow. Shout out to that guy. Yeah, um, I just want to make a, a comment. I used to feel like, oh, you know, marketing, marketing, marketing. Um, and I think it's important. It's like throwing people lifeboats early, which I think is important and morally right. So I do think it's important to try to sound a horn and let people know what we have here, what's possible. Um, you really don't need to let people know what's happening. I think everyone kind of is on 
walking on eggshells right now when it comes to the current centralized system, um, especially people with wealth. So as much as as much as I you know go out there and get this community, get that community, I, I more I more look at it like we're on some kind of arc, and it's like just like make sure there's no holes. Because like it's coming. Um, how did we remember we're building Speak Network? How did we find um, all of those little crazy protocols? I think we looked at maybe a dozen different off ch- or like you know storage options, like live 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 uh, coin or liver, whatever. That, you know all these coins that we were looking up. How did we find them? Did they did, did we find it on Twitter because they were marketing, or is it because we actually needed right. it? And we researched our asses off, and we looked under every rock and nook and cranny, and found what we were. Well, we didn't find. We found what was out there, and realized it didn't work. Well, when people are doing that with Hive, when people actually need it, crypto Twitter doesn't need it, right? But a lot, everyone's going to need it at some point. At least an element of it. They're going to want an element of it. Some people are going to need it. Most people are going to need want an element of it. Um, it's good. They're going to find us as long as we're censorship resistant. We keep building out. Um, but yeah, I do think it's important to, for instance, give the Solana community a front end that they can talk on. That's just, you know, just a community front end. It's like show people the way where it's like, hey, this is the, the entry door into the parallel world where you have your free speech, your own stable value you can create your own economies you can do anything here right and you don't have to worry about the barriers to entry because of the fees and all these things so i think that's important but you know keep in mind that um we've built serious tools in a very serious time and they will be sought after and found because of their usefulness um so yeah just touching on uh, communities that um this is very important. You know, we talk about how do we onboard people to Hive. Once we've done this once, we can, we, we're going to be able to replicate it many, many, many times. And, and I think the whole idea of the breakaway communities that we've built, where you can spin up an XMT copy with very little dev knowledge. And if you need some help at the moment, we can help you. But we're building it as automated as possible. Um, that solution is going to be launched. There's going to be a website out in the very near future, a few more days. Um, a few more bugs to fix on it and then we've got the website and you'll, you'll be able to go on and follow a set of instructions I'd say most people will be able to spin up a front end for, for free for themselves with no dev input um, some people might need some help but we've got devs that can help you and it gives everyone access to the ability to have their own front ends I see Lord Butterfly in the room shout out to you man he's, he's created his own front end using this system um, we've had requests from other people as well well the next step to that then is we use Honeycomb to the Honeycomb technology to, to create a, a token for those communities. Um, Honeycomb already has the ability to create tokens. Um, Nathan Sen's already spun up a couple of tokens for himself, and he's separate, to the, you know, he's independent from Honeycomb. So the tokenization element is there. That just needs integrating to the XNT front end, and that is not very hard to do. Um, we've built a point system into the XNT front ends, the breakaway communities, where the more social you are, the more points you earn, and then that's going to give you the ability to earn more of the inflation of the token. It's going to give you the more uh, the ability to uh, control the the upvotes. Well, you know, people will be able to follow you because you're more social actor on those platforms. So the more you comment, the more you post, you're going to be um, able to um, say, "Hey, I'm more social than other people." Can I? Well, you're going to be able to get the right to to, to have access to more of the inflation as a result. And then once we've done that once, right? Like Dan was just saying, 
we're going to target the Solana community. We, we think that there's something here where we can put a front end down for, for Solana, a place where they can go and comment. With We're currently toying with exactly who on the Solana community we, uh, the system will drop tokens to. Uh, they'll get tokens based on their Solana balance. Uh, we've, we've spoken for a long time about whether or not the founders should get those tokens, whether or not the venture capital should get those tokens, because uh, uh, ultimately they got those unfairly in the ICO, as far as we're concerned. Um, once we've done that, the next question is, well, can we just drop tokens to everyone? Like, basically everyone, you start off in crypto, there's enough documentation across the, all these different blockchains that show the balances of the various different accounts. Again, whether or not we drop to venture capital firms and whether or not we drop to the founders is, is a debatable point. Um, but we, we can scale this. We can scale the dropping of tokens, tokens that you need to stake in order to interact on the front end. So there's a, there's a use case, there's a kind of underlying demand for the purchase of those tokens then. Um, that can be replicated over and over again. And it doesn't have to be us that do it either. It doesn't even have to be the owners of the community itself. It could just be, you know, anyone can create a tokenized front-end breakaway community platform for any community, even if they've got nothing to do with that community in the first place. Um, that's where this is going, and that's I, I think that is going to onboard thousands and thousands of people. Um, it, it's a scalable onboarding system, basically. Uh, it's far more than that, but that's one of the ways to look at it. Then, then you kind of go into, well, can we do the same thing for some of these influencers that aren't in Web3 yet, but they've got a massive footprint online? Can we figure out a way to analyze YouTube comments? Can we figure out a way to analyze Twitter? Um, maybe it's worth paying for the API for that type. Can we figure out a way to analyze their Twitch accounts or their TikTok accounts and figure out which people in those communities are contributing the most to the community and then figure out a way to drop tokens to them with VSC, we're not far away from you being able to log in with your Gmail account and control assets on Hive without having a Hive account, right? That's going to make onboarding a lot easier. Um, just so much is coming together here. It's so powerful. So I see us uh, first attacking the, the, the blockchain angle and dropping tokens to various blockchain communities and setting up front ends for them. Uh, allowing them to speak and talk and transact using with with the hive way, you know, three second transaction time, zero fees. But the the other angle is we can drop to non blockchain communities, figure out a way to analyze their audiences and drop to them, and then create front ends for them. Again, I would I'd advise always not drop into the content creator because that will be seen as a security. Let the content creator who can who's you know that community is built around, let them earn that. The keyword is earn. They have to earn their tokens from the distribution by posting valuable content and the community voting for that in a decentralized way. The decentralized decision in itself makes it so that they have to earn the token. And the word earn means it can't be classed as a security. And now you have all these di di distributed tokenized communities all over the place, on-chain communities and off-chain communities um, that can govern themselves, that vote, that can distribute currency, that can create currency. Um, they can communicate on front ends. This is coming, and it's going to be big when it comes. And that's another thing that's happening. Yeah, it's a gateway to tokenize communities, which is the ultimate goal. But yeah, you can brute force at this point. You can just provide value, and you'll get value in return via network effect. Um, we'll be able to once that's polished. You know, it's going to be incredible. Give everyone a every community out there, you know, blockchain community. 
people, etc., their own front ends, their own ability to earn, where they don't have to worry about anything else in terms of, you know, doing anything the SEC is going to get involved with. They earn it, and um, it also decentralizes the freedom of speech for that community because the people who are contributing the most are the ones who are going to have, you know, the most stake and the most say, so. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Have you, I'm going to move on to another subject here. Have you got any comments on that task or move on to a different subject? No, you guys about cover it. I think it's, uh, again, just one of the tentacles that are reaching further out and just more we have to offer the, uh, the Web3 world to use a moniker that we were told not to use. Yeah. Um, all right, I, w- I want to move on to Justin Sun's, uh, uh, sorry, Justin Sun, oh. Blasphemy, sorry. Justin Bonds. Obviously got that guy's name on my brain. Um, so yeah, Justin Bonds, he's, uh, he's an interesting character in the crypto world. <clears throat> if you don't know of him, very, very smart guy. Um, uh, very contrarian. Speaking about a lot of the same things that we've been speaking about. He, he, he seems to default to the, <clears throat> I think he defaults to the Ethereum side a lot. But he gets decentralization. <clears throat> and it's great. It's great, great to see. It's really great to see that there's people in the crypto industry that have got clout that actually understand it. So I want to read. I want to read a tweet he put out, and we we answered the tweet, and he actually retweeted it. So it's really really cool. Chat. Um, love. It'd be great to have him on the show to discuss because we need people from outside the ecosystem that actually understand decentralization and got the moral fortitude to back it up online and actually make the, the proper points. So he's got a thread here. He says the layer two. The layer two in quote marks narrative depends on l2s decentralizing in the future yeah i mean we our point straight away on that first line our point is if it's centralized from the start it will not be able to be decentralized everyone's saying we will decentralize in the future it's like who do you think you are who are you like it's just another founder with their own ico drop that they're distributing a security and it will be the perfect um, thing for good um so he says, as they are almost all centralized, right? It's ironic, though, because this requires creating a new decentralized consensus mechanism for the layer two. The very same problem that the layer one already solved. Because this is only in a paradigm where you don't know about free transactions on the base layer, by the way. And that's why we know that this stuff is so powerful on high. He's getting there. He's, 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 he's really getting to the point and slowly but surely philosophizing himself into this solution. Um, but I think probably hasn't heard of Hive or doesn't know Hive or doesn't agree with it or whatever. And so he's, he's in the paradigm of feed, feed base layer. So he can't solve this issue, and, and not, nor can the rest of crypto. He says, this is clearly stepping us backward, as the layer two will always have a lower validator set security compared to the layer one. If that were not the case, the layer two might as well become its own layer one at that point. Correct. This will start happening as the layer two scaling narrative destroys the layer one. There is no way around this problem for layer two decentralization. We rethink that there is, but they have to cut out the pre-mines, the ICOs. They have to create feeless base layers. And then um, he says they have to become blockchains in their own right for two reasons. Decentralizing the sequencer and upgradability, removal of ad, both require a form of consensus which, put, which puts all layer twos back to square one. A DAO for deciding on changes based on stakeholder proof of stake while using the same validator set to decentralize the sequencer because without the former, the L2 can steal the user funds without the latter. 
the L2 can sensor. You could burn admin keys, but that's not practical. Um, L2s are, gonna, are going full circle, facing the same challenges that L1s faced. The solution is solving the scalability at the level of layer one exactly because it's already specialized to provide censorship resistance and sound upgradability. Offloading this to layer twos avoids the real issue. The last point here is this is why it makes sense for most layer twos to remain centralized as their niche is not to provide censorship resistance and non-custodial money, but the opposite instead. Because wherever layer twos do try to decentralize, they will either become layer ones or always be worse than the layer one. I, I mean, so well written, so well understood. And the beauty of this is this guy's got clout in crypto, right? This is how Dan and I know we are on point because there's still a few guys out there that have got the moral fortitude and not chasing the money and are trying to actually achieve decentralization. And they're sitting in this world of quagmire with all of these layer twos and all of these problems that layer ones have got. And he's banging on about the right things. He's taking the right moral route here. And my answer to this is Hive solves every single issue he raises there. Every single one, hands down, it's solved. It's already solved them and it works with no VC, no CEO, no, no centralized entity, right? We are right on the money here, right on it. And I don't mean money from a money-making sense. I mean, the, it's a figurative sense of the, the phrase. We are so correct on this. It's unbelievable. And as we build out the solutions and someone's going to just see one of them and be like, oh, what's that? And they're going to click on the user experience. It's going to be fantastic because it is. And then they're going to go, well, how's this chain work? And they're going to go, there's no ICO, no pre-mine. It's a feeless base layer. So we don't have to trust the layer twos because they can clear instantly. You know, it solves everything, everything. And I'm, I'm, just, I'm so freaking excited here because... These two roads are going to cross at some point, and, and there's going to be a realization in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's absolutely right when he talks about how um, on a high-fee base layer, the layer twos should be centralized. He says should. They're designed to be centralized. That's the whole point. These systems were never built for censorship resistance. They were built as the new banking system. Have a unusable base layer force everyone onto banking layer twos your chase banks whoever those are who are going to be the you know the layer two providers because they already have reputation they're going to have the regulatory red tape so you know your mom and pop shop is not going to survive in that type of um brute force world so any high fee based layer and now you're starting to understand and everyone else is starting to understand the fact that if you have a high fee base layer layer two is centralized Layer two, in order to be cent non or decentralized on a high fee base layer, it has to become its own layer one, which defeats the purpose. Yeah. Um, the whole purpose of a blockchain is to put data on it and keep record of transactions. Um, if you can't put data on the chain because it's too expensive, you have to hold it yourself. If you have to hold it yourself, it's like holding your own cash outside of a bank, hoping someone, no one mugs you. Um, you have to have your own security. So Hive does solve this in all regards because you can easily put data on Hive. We've niched it out to be that piece that is needed because when you really want censorship resistance, that's how it has to work in practice. You have to have a clearing layer that you can clear to, not just the elites, but everyone. Everyone in the world needs to be able to use this layer. Because once you cripple the transaction layer and force it to a layer two, that's just it's gutting the entire system and the entire point. 
the transaction layer, big and small, has to be censorship resistant, and it has to be feeless or damn near feeless. Yeah, and I, I just, you know, I'd like to say to Justin Bonds, come talk to us. We've really got so many solutions. We, we vibe with exactly what you're saying, except we have a solution to it instead of uh, having to worry about figuring out a way to get these current ecosystems to work. Um, the paradigm that Justin exists in must be really frustrating because he's right on the money every time with the things that he says, but he can't provide a solution because the current paradigm won't listen. And even if it did, I don't think they could even salvage what they've built. So we're here, Justin. Come talk to us, man. We've got the solution. Or at least maybe it's not a solution that you agree with, but it certainly solves all the problems that you're raising. And I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on whether or not you think Hive does what it's what you, you need it to in these comments. So yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Really really positive about it. So I'm going to close that item and then move to this uh, this repo system. I think this is this is super interesting. Maybe it's not for everyone. I think, you know, some people might say this is boring, but I, I personally think this is massive. The current economy works using the repo system as part of the core operation mechanisms. And someone put out a really cool diagram the other day. And I sent it to Tass. I was like, hey, do you want to come on and talk about this? And Tass is always good to have because um, Tass knows his shit. And it's nice to have someone around the Hive ecosystem that actually knows how the monetary system works. And so what I think we should do with this next part of the call is discuss this diagram with Task. I've put it in the comments to this tweet already, to this Twitter space already, and I've put it in the Leo thread so you can find. Um, and it's a, it's a structure as to how the, the repo, the current paradigm repo market works, right? And it's supposed to be conspiratorial that the Fed's printing money and this stuff, right? When in fact, we, we know it's not. Um, and... Yeah, understanding how that works because what what are we what this is another use case of Hive. What are we doing on Hive? We've built a neutral layer that isn't controlled by anyone, so it gives everyone the right to use it for whatever purposes they need to use it for. And because you've got a stable coin at the base layer, now you can use that to create bonding systems, and the the whole collateralized loans and repo market are based on a collateralization layer. And well, it's US Treasury bonds, right? But that's in their economy. We're talking about a parallel economy here that everyone, um, and so we can build a similar system to these repo markets. And I'd be, I'd be very interested to hear Task's take on this diagram and how the current repo market really works uh, to get an understanding of that so that then we can plan and work out how we can replicate that in a more transparent, fair and neutral way, a feeless blockchain like Hive. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you've got the diagram up in front of you. I'll post then I'm gonna send this diagram to you in your Discord so you can at least interact during the show. Right, so if I come to this, it, the diagram's called the Fed's Repo Hierarchy. And it, it's it's a cool diagram. It goes from the left hand side, it says repo rates at the top, high interest rates, and at the bottom on the left hand side it's the lowest rate. There's the this is showing you how the rates vary. And it goes into the different types of repos. So you've got the, the top repos, the emergency repo, then you've got Wall Street repos, you've got private repos, and public repos. And then you've got cash lenders, people lend based on those repo loans, I guess. And then the repo venues, so where does the repo happen? Private repo market, reverse repo facility. And then on the right, far right hand side, you've got cash borrowers and going all the way down to the various different banks and then the Federal Reserve at the low bottom right of the diagram. So um, maybe Tasky can first start explaining to us what is a repo loan and why, why they're necessary. Okay, what a repo is, it, repo stands for repurchase agreement. 
And what a repurchase agreement is, is basically when a buyer, well, you'll hear two terms, repo and reverse repo. And it's basically the same thing. It just depends on which side of the equation you're looking at. Repo is when a buyer goes and buys a security with the agreement to sell it back at a predetermined date for a specific price. Reverse repo is the exact opposite, but you're showing up with the security. So you're selling the security with the agreement to buy it back at a specific time at a predetermined price. So why do we have these agreements? And again, this goes back to what I was saying about the monetary system and accounting. A lot of this tends to be nothing more than accounting. And the reason being is if you think about banks, what they need to do, banks have snapshots taken each day and they operate based upon those snapshots throughout the day. So, for example, when you buy or, or when you go and sell some stock, let's say, and let's say you, you go into your brokerage account on a Wednesday and you sell $10,000 worth of stock. The next day you go back in, you can go and take that 10000 and buy a different stock if you want. The $10,000 is available to you. But to the brokerage firm, that stock transaction did not settle. Stock transactions take about three days to settle. So basically, TD Ameritrade or whoever your brokerage firm is, is fronting you the money. So what happens is if you look at these financial institutions, they all have flows coming in, they all have money going out, and they have a net end of day. So maybe TD Ameritrade, all T- all TD Ameritrade uh, customers on Wednesday decide they were selling. Well, now TD Ameritrade is short of funding. So what they do is they go into the repo market and they get cash. So what they'll do is they'll take some securities, put them up on a lo- against a loan for you know $100 million or whatever they need. And some money market fund will usually be on the other side of that trade. And that's what a repurchase agreement is. Uh, And why they do it is for liquidity issues to be in compliance with reserve requirements, be in compliance with regulations. There's a variety of different reasons why they do it. But uh, basically, it's an accounting mechanism where they go in and they, these are short-term loans. They can be anywhere from overnight to eh, probably about seven days. Sometimes they'll extend out to 14 days. But this is the cheapest form of lending, and it's also four and a half to five trillion dollars through the repo uh, uh, custodian through uh, Bank of New York Mellon, which is only a piece of this entire global system. But four and a half to five trillion dollars a day is traded in the repo market. By the way, all of that's USD denominated. So when people talk about the petrodollar, that's why I laugh. You're talking about, you know, an $8 billion a day oil market. This is four and a half to $5 trillion traded. And this funds global trade. Yeah. So, well, so, so one question is, so, okay, look at this from a layman's point of view and listen to what you just said. Basically, the system is where there's a clearing delay, I guess. It's like, like you were saying with, with the stocks you, you on, your, on your trading account, 
you sell a stock and the money needs to be made whole to your account right there and then. But in reality, in the back end, the stock clearing doesn't happen for three days. So this is a market where any type, and it's not just for stocks, I assume, it's for any type of clearing delay where the client needs to be made good right now. Um, so the, the, the broker is going to take a loan, make the client good, and then do the clearing in the background. And the clearing is guaranteed to happen. It's just that there's a delay. Right, so it's a really low rate on the loan to make the the client good immediately, and I assume this isn't just for stocks and bonds. This is for probably all sorts of mechanisms that have those types of delays that, that the repo market can serve. So um, I get I get it. So it's a low form of rate. It's a low rate loan because there's basically almost zero chance of a default because you know that the clearing mechanism is going to happen at some point in the next couple of days. Um, so my first question here is: isn't it isn't it a case that if we start doing this on crypto? Aren't crypto clearances instant or are there going to be cases in crypto where we're going to have clearing delays? And so, well, that's really interesting, actually. <clears throat> like on Hive, we have an in, because we have a zero fee base layer, we don't have any clearing delays from the layer twos because they clear instantly because they don't need to pay fees. But on the feed blockchain, they're going to clear rarely once every month, once every six months. I don't know. As the fees go up, they'll clear more, more and more rarely back to the base layer security. So isn't there a whole repo loan market there that could be exploited? Well, the point you bring up in terms of, yeah, when, you, when you're when you looking at uh, settlement delays, yes, that, that can, that's solved with crypto. So uh, the fact is on Hive, let's say we build uh, some type of second layer with synthetic assets, those will settle instantaneously or within, you know, a few seconds. Uh, so that, that part of the equation goes out, but re repo is much bigger than just, uh, I mean, I just gave you an example of, of one thing. Uh, you know, a lot of times entities will enter into these agreements, collateral transformation, uh, the repo market, basically to give you a broad overview, the repo market is the centralization of the decentralized Euro dollar system. And the euro dollar system started in the, in the mid 1950s. Uh, Midland Bank in in the UK, which I'm sure you're familiar with that name, Matt. Um, they were the ones who started the whole thing. And what ended up happening is the United States Congress kind of had some hearings in the late 1960s. Then the Fed started talking about this in the 1970s, and, and really they were getting wind of stuff going on after 20, 25 years, but they really didn't know what was going on. And then over the last, you know, 50 years, they've implemented these things to try and rein in and try to figure out how big this market is and rein it in. And so when you start to talk about what we know about the size of the repo market, and that's why I said that four and a half to five trillion is just a piece of it. We don't know how big a piece of it is because that includes the trilateral agreements, which are done to entities showing up with usually some type of payment and another asset of security through the Bank of New York Mellon. And also the bilateral agreements that the primary dealers tell us about. Now, as of the end of the last earning calls, JP Morgan had 1.5 trillion in, in assets and securities under repledge contracts. I can guarantee you JP Morgan's not telling uh, the system everything they're involved in. So you have all these bilateral agreements that are outside this system. And they're, they're done for a variety of different reasons. 
Uh, for example, let's say you want to run a, a deal on interest rate swaps and all you have is, you know, junk bonds. Well, you show up and try to run run a deal on interest rate swaps with another bank on junk bonds. They're going to say, well, you better over collateralize 125 percent. I'm going to hit you up at, you know, six percent APR. Well, if all of a sudden you take those and you go those junk bonds and you go to a JP Morgan and you give them a little piece of the action on terms of the overage and the interest rate, and you do a, a repledge, excuse me, a repo agreement on that asset for U.S. U.S. Treasuries, now all of a sudden you just turn junk bonds into U.S. Treasuries and you go out and you do U.S. Treasuries as collateral on your interest rate swaps. So this is a lot of the stuff that's going on in the background where these institutions are running all types of different financial transactions for a variety of reasons. Uh, Some of it is ultimately it's designed to try to get money to where it needs to be in whatever form. And quite frankly, they don't use cash. They don't use fiat currency. They don't use numbers on a screen that are tied to a commercial bank's lending. They use whatever the hell they got. They use interest rate swaps. They use so far futures. They use uh, commercial paper. They'll, they'll trade anything. It just depends on what, what you'll accept as collateral and as payment. Clear. So, so, so this, this, is, this is interesting because what it means is that the, the daily value or volume of dollar traded on these repo markets in the trillions, it's not dollars going back and forth necessarily. It's all sorts of things, but it's a dollar value that's being denominated. Yes, exactly. It, it, the only dollars in there, the only ones usually with dollars in there will be the money market funds. Hell, even the Fed's not in there with dollars, even though their their terminology, they use cash. The, the Fed's in there with their reserves. And that's why you always you see a lot of these arrangements as three, maybe even four party, because the Fed can only deal with reserves with certain entities. For example, the Fed can't go buy securities from an insurance company because an insurance company doesn't have a master account with the Fed, so they can't have reserves on their balance sheet. Only uh, uh, companies, only entities with master account, i.e. banks, are allowed to do this. So if they want to go get some securities from MetLife, they have to go through one of their primary dealers and say, okay, we'll give you the reserves, go get us those, uh, you know, 30-year bonds from MetLife. And, you know, that's how they have to work the deal. So you have different assets, you have different entities in there, all with interest, you have different size companies, some companies like a MetLife probably has their own repo desk, they're big enough, they're dealing with this. A small insurance company, they may not have a repo desk, so they go through a JP Morgan, they go through uh, a Goldman Sachs, they go through one of these primary dealers who then handles it for them. So there's a lot of different moving pieces. And then you said you were sitting there looking at all these different interest rates. And it's like, what the hell is all these interest rates? And that's why I laugh when people say, well, the Fed's raising the interest rate. What interest rate? I mean, the, the, the interest rate that they talk about is a, a blend of different rates. They got IOER, they got the SOFR rate, they got the Fed fund rates that the, the banks use to, to lend to each other. So there's all these different rates. And none of these rates mean anything set by the Fed. If the market pushes the rate above that, all the money goes into that. Because And that's the initial start of the euro dollar system with Midland Bank. What Midland Bank did because of Bretton Woods, U.S. domestic banks were capped at the uh, interest that they could, could garner. Well, now all of a sudden Midland Bank in, in the U.K. started in the mid-1950s, started 
to lend out U.S. dollars that it had in its its vaults. And the Bank of England looked at it and said, yeah, we don't have a problem with that. It was a loose regulatory environment at the time. So they said, go right ahead. We don't have a problem with that. That's no threat. So what did what did Midland Bank and all the associated banks start doing? They started offering higher interest rates to draw the capital, which drew the capital out of the United States and drew all these dollars into the UK and eventually throughout Europe because they were paying higher interest rates. It's the same thing with this. If, if all of a sudden these money market funds, get, they see the repo rate, but all of a sudden the market rates, you know, a few ticks above that, that's where everything's going. Same with the commercial banks. So that's why the, you see the IOER rate. That's why you see the SOFA rate. You see the reverse repo rate. I mean, short-term uh, T-bills, they've been trading, you know, they, these have been bid up to the point where why would you take an interest rate below reverse repo, which is about as, as, as safe as it gets. Well, the reason being is they needed the securities for collateral. These, these banks are collateral constrained. So when you start to see stuff like that, you know, wait a second, there's something else going on than just what kind of return can I get on this four week or this eight week uh, T-bill? And it's because I don't really care about the return. I'm just going to pay up on the collateral, push the yield down, but I need to use this for, for, for deals in, in repo. Or in you know in the euro dollar system, I got to I got to collateralize this stuff. So th- this this sounds complex, right? But I I don't think it's as, as complex as it sounds. The more I, I learn about this, the more I understand it. And it's important that we understand it. Why are we having this discussion with all of you lovely people here? Um, we're not wasting your time. Don't worry. I believe that these are the conversations that we are going to be happening. Uh, sorry, we're going to be having in the next couple of years as we become the actors in this system that we build for ourselves on Hive. I, I imagine that the system on Hive will be far more simplified than this. Um, but effectively, we're going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be providing people with liquidity that need it. And we're going to be charging a rate for that. Uh, and so people are going to be able to make that, put their Hive to work or put their, I should say, put their HBD bonds to work um, to support this, this type of activity. And so it's important that we know. I mean, I think the system that's grown up around the Fed and around the euro dollar system, the international money markets, it's very complex because there's so many moving parts, right? You do the same thing on Hive. I think it's going to be so much more simplified. Is that, is that your view as well? Well, I'll sum it up this way. Here's the easiest way to, to think about it. The central banks offer out what what the how do i phrase this what the euro dollar system is is it's a it's reserveless money that is run by a banking cartel basically that's what it is the reserve money is you know what the central banks they cr- they create their reserves which is not legal tender it's not us dollars it's not euros it's not pounds these are reserves. They're they're like stable coins. It's it's redeemable for a physical banknote, but you know you and I can't use it. It's not broad economy money. It's basically a bank instrument. So what the euro dollar system is is that's a reserveless money system that's run by a banking cartel. What we're doing with crypto is we're setting up a reserveless money system, except we're kicking the banks out. We're saying. You're not running the ledgers anymore. We're going to run the ledgers because they run all their ledgers. They run all the ledgers, both at the euro dollar system, both at the central banking system and the commercial banking system. You want to find out how much money you have? 
you look at your bank account. If you are with Wells Fargo or your Bank of America or you're with Barclays or where you're with, you go to that bank and they maintain your ledger. When you, Matt, want to see what your high HBD is, you look at your Hive ledger. Who maintains the Hive ledger? The witnesses. That's the difference. So when you're looking at the system, really the model in my mind, and yes, it's not exact and no, we should not replicate everything with the euro dollar system, but it was a system that worked very well, even though it was run by a banking cartel and we know how cartels are never a good thing. Uh, but it did work for the first 50 years to the great financial crisis blew everything up. This is the type of model we have, except we don't want the banks running the ledger. We want to run the ledgers. And that's what decentralization is. And that's what Dan was saying before about these base layers that ultimately end up as banker chains because they take over the nodes, because they have the ability to buy all the Ethereum with all, all the money they have. They buy the Ethereum. They control the nodes. They decide what goes on on Ethereum. Guess who controls the Ethereum ledger? The banks. So this is really where the shift in thinking comes in. Then when you start to get into the, the more advanced forms of finance, lending, funding, you can go in game theory that many different ways. The biggest thing to me is how I game theory it out and how I envision it is if you build these tools, these financial tools of varying degrees, and they can, you know, they can go up the scale in complexity and, and risk and all that stuff based upon people's willingness to, to, you know, get involved at that level. But the ultimate form of lending to me is, okay, Dan, Dan uh, wants to create a game and he needs a hundred thousand dollars. So Dan puts out there that I need a hundred thousand dollar loan and somehow he creates a token or whatever. And then you know, 20,000 of us can put five, five HBD together and give it to Dan and that funds it. And, you know, there's some type of application that you go in and there's some type of, you know, there's a lot of different things that, that can be built out for that and, and using smart contracts and, you know, where Dan agrees to this, that, and the other thing, and it's tied to the wallet. So any money comes in, it goes in that wallet and is divvied based upon the smart contract. So this is really where you start to get, now we're talking not so much lending, uh, the proper term is funding. And that's a lot of what the repo system is, is it's funding. It funds different things to where money's needed around the world. Uh, and it gets these institutions the money they need to fund them for, you know, whatever purposes they're going after. And it's not only speculation. Sometimes these institutions are going into the, these markets and they're working these deals because they have to hedge because uh, their VAR models value at risk. Uh, if, if, for example, the bank takes on a particular asset and it pushes their own internal models, you know, uh, above where their VAR level is and it puts it into extreme, they may have to go out and buy some derivative that lowers the risk and brings them back into the range that the bank is operating under. So there's a lot of different reasons. And everybody says, well, derivatives are bad, weapons of mass destruction, you know, Warren Buffett, all that other stuff. And, and that's not incorrect. But more derivatives are out there to hedge risk than to, to uh, leverage risk. So these are things that, that you know, you offer out there to the public and people have to, to have some mindset or some intelligence with them. But um, yeah, they, we can simplify the system 
But the big thing is we're decentralizing the system, kind of like it was before where it was, uh, you know, a banker to banker relationship. And that's another reason why sanctions never work. It's like, listen, the, the, the guy who's running the largest bank in Russia sitting there in Moscow, he's, he's been at that position. He's, he's been at the bank 30 years. He knows bankers all over the world. So if a banker in Japan won't deal with them, a banker in the UAE will deal with them. If a banker in UAE won't deal with them, maybe one in Singapore will. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways these run, they run these deals. And a lot of times it's with securities that are off balance sheet, whether through repurge agreements or whatever they're doing. So that's where the complexity of high finance in these banks. And that's why I always say, if you want to understand what's going on, forget the Fed. The Fed doesn't do money. Look at what the banking system is. Look at what the banks are doing. And, and Warren, uh, Alan Greenspan said something, and, and I just want to repeat this. He said this in, in 1995 in, a, in a, a, a speech. Then he repeated it in 2000 in a FOMC meeting. And he basically said that for us to set our interest rate and set monetary policy, it presumes we know what money is. And that's becoming increasingly difficult due to all these products. And he wasn't talking about Amazon. He was talking about the financial products the international banking system has created that they use as money. And so that's why I say when people are sitting there talking about like the U.S. dollar and banknotes and, oh, we need to go back to the gold. It's like, what century are you people in? That's not even the money. I mean, look at what Wall Street's using and, and these international banks are using as money. And that's why I say crypto has such a promising future because this is nothing new. Yeah. And we're just replicating and put on a transparent set of ledgers. Uh, I, I wanted you to, I've got a couple of questions for you. Um, first one was, uh, briefly, can you explain, you know, you know, you explain the difference, you know, say we're on an oil, uh, what do you call it, a petrodollar. And then you realize, well, it's eight, it's eight billion a day trade. And then the repo loans market's seven trillion. So it's, we're not, we're not really on a petrodollar standard, right? It's just people. No, are- that, that, that was bullshit from the, the gold bugs and, and to say, Oh, well, the only reason why the dollar has any value after we got off the gold standard is because the oil's priced in. It's total garbage. And the reason why, and Dan talks about the stability. The the reason why uh, the dollar has that, the reason why the dollar's not going away is it has what, you know, a a computer term, network effects. I mean, when you start to look at all the money that's out, the, the, the transactions, when you start to look at the the balance sheets that are priced in dollar. I'll give you. I'll give you a derivative nobody's ever heard of. You know what a, a, a an FED is? It stands for foreign exchange derivative. There's 17 trillion foreign exchange derivatives out there. 13 trillion of them are USD. Now these are derivatives that are used to hedge forex risk. So it's natural that the US dollar is the dominant one. But most people never even heard of that. And there's 17 trillion of them. 13 trillion. USD denominated. So when you start to just run the simple math in these numbers, the petrodollar is is really a joke. The bricks are a joke. You know, we heard the same argument. I'm sure you heard the same argument, Matt, uh, living there with the with the EU. Oh, well, the size of the EU trading zone, this will make us a superpower with the United States. And so we get the euro and this is going to rival and knock off the US dollar. And, you know, 25 years later, the euro is still a regional currency. I mean, it's... So, so, in the same way that you you kind of put into our minds the the petrodollar versus the repo market size and why that's such a massive difference that the petrodollar market's kind of it's a bit of it's 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 insignificant. 
Um, can you also go into the same scaling in regards to the Fed setting the interest rate? Because everyone's, everyone's looking at the Fed. Oh, the Fed's moving it by 0.25 basic points. We're going crazy today. The markets are going up and down and everyone's losing their mind, right? And it's like, the more I hear you talk about this, I'm like, well, the long end, because they're setting the short end of the curve. They're setting the short-term interest rates, right? But the long-term interest rates, it's really this market that sets these rates. And it's, it's, its density and weight is so many orders of magnitude larger than the Fed short-term pissing around with the, the little front end of the curve. And people are so focused on it. It seems very strange when really, in, the, in reality, you should be looking at the longer-term rates that the Fed can't set and seeing what they're doing, because that's really the market speaking. That's the, the, the behemoth in the room speaking, right? And if you look at that, that's telling a completely different story to what the Fed's telling. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the, we've had an inverted yield curve for 18 months now or something like that. Uh, I mean, we had LIBOR, which no more, no longer is around. It was so far. But uh, that inverted, I guess, December of 2021. So that was two years ago where the uh, LIBOR yield curve inverted. And then about three or four months later, uh, the U.S. Treasury yield curve. You're, you're absolutely correct. The, the, when the Fed does their thing with interest rates, uh, what happens is the short end of the yield curve is susceptible to that and going to follow that simply because if you have a, a I don't know, pick a, an eight-week T-bill, well, what's going to change in eight weeks? Now, if you have a 30-year bond, and this goes back all the way, this goes back 100 years to Irvin Fisher, and Irvin Fisher said the long end of the yield curve is all about inflation and growth expectations. So when you have the long end of the yield curve, and, and I'll just give you a simple point. I did a video about this yesterday because I looked it up, uh, just happened to be scrolling through. And the U.S. 10-year, the, the, the 10-year Treasury, that, that got up in mid-October was just shy of 5%, 4.98%. This is now at like 3.96 or 3.92 as of yesterday. So this thing's dropped over 100 basis points in two months. What has the Fed done? The Fed hasn't lowered interest rates. Yet here we have the yield, the, the market saying on the 10-year, and I didn't look at the 30-year. I'm sure it's very similar. This is saying these things aren't going up. These things are going down. And what this comes back to is, in, in my opinion, this comes back to, to Milton Friedman and the interest rate fallacy, where simply what we were talking about before, there's not enough collateral. These banks are balance sheet constrained globally, and they don't have enough money in, in the system. There's not enough money globally to, to maintain growth. So what the, the market is saying, the bond market, which you're absolutely correct, it's the largest market there is out there by a wide margin. It's basically sitting there saying, uh, we don't buy this inflation stuff and we don't buy that the economy is going to be very good going forward. So you all can sit there and talk how great the economy is. We're seeing uh, severe headwinds. And that's what the bond market has been saying for about 18 months, that this inflation was transitory. It wasn't true inflation, i.e. an expansion of the money supply. Because the only thing that really expanded was the reserves. That's not broad economy money. Bank lending has contracted. Europe is, I mean, bank lending just puckered up like, a, you know, what part of the body. I mean, it's dried up. And so now you have a situation where growth and the oil market's following because the price of oil and so in, in, in spite of supply 
uh, cuts are dropping. The price of oil is dropping. Everything's saying demand is waning. We got issues. And, you know, the long end of the yield curve, most people are ignoring it and saying the Fed's in control of interest rates. And what ends up happening is the Fed is going to end up reversing course when at a certain point in time, the bond market, which it always is in the long term, the bond market is proven correct because it's all about inflation and growth expectations. And if they're not met and, you know, now you have people talking about recession and and global recession and all this other stuff. China's in the crapper. They're in massive deflation. You know, that's what's going on and taking place. And people ignore it and they, they focus on the Fed. And it's like they don't do money. They're just a propaganda organization. This is not 1920 where they could print money and inject it into the economy. When you print banknotes, you can inject them in the economy. They print reserves. That doesn't get into the economy. What gets into the economy is when the commercial banks land. So uh, Ben Bernanke, he's got very honest in his old age. He said monetary policy is, and I forget exactly how he said it, but it's 2% money, 98% PR. And that's basically what it is. They, they try to get markets to do what they can't do because they can't do anything direct. So this quantitative easing, this quantitative tightening, this interest rate policy, all of it, it's bullshit. It is total bullshit. And the bond market is sitting there saying, how come it's gone down over 100 basis points when the Fed hasn't moved? Because the bond market's sitting there looking out at 2024 saying, we don't think this is going to be very good. So, so well, that's interesting. So, Basically, what does that mean? That means that the, the market, this behemoth of the repo market and all these other massive U.S. dollar-denominated markets that are out there, these derivative markets, they're all they're all loaning money to each other, and the they're using U.S. dollar treasuries as majority of their base collateral, and the treasury rates on those treasuries in the long term, which I, I assume provides you the, the the lowest rate loans because it's a long-term treasury. Uh, that's where the market's really operating. And it's saying that the Fed is wrong, meaning that the Fed shouldn't have raised interest rates. Well, well, you're, com- you're confusing two things. Repo doesn't care about long-term, short-term. Repo cares about liquidity. And, and the most liquid are T-bills. That, that's what it cares about because you don't care 30-year or four-week if you're doing an overnight loan. You really could give a shit. Actually, you don't really care about credit worthiness either. You just want to know, if I take this asset uh, out of default, can I unload it when the market's open? And, you know, a four-week and eight-week T-bill, you can always unload those. Those are the most liquid market. In fact, a lot of, because of the raise in interest rates, a lot of the older um, treasuries, the long end of the treasury, they're off the run. They're not very liquid. Uh, in fact, that's a situation that took out Silicon Valley Bank because they had all those those long-dated bonds and and three years old, five year old bonds and the bond market, it, there was no dip by demand on them because quite simply, um, you know, why, why would anybody, I mean, the, the price of the bonds dropped by 40, 50% after the rates w- went up higher. So yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of confusing repo with these other where don't forget your bond buyers who, who typically buys treasury bonds. You got insurance companies, you got pension funds and you have large hedge funds. Those are your three biggest bondholders. And 
they tend not to be, they tend to be risk averse. They, you know, insurance companies aren't going and getting wild here and taking on all kinds of risk and leveraging shit up. So they're very, very, that's why the bond market is very, very conservative as compared to the equity market. The other thing is when you buy a bond, you know exactly what your return is if you hold it to maturity. With a stock, you have no idea. The stock could go up 50%. It could go down 50%. Who the hell knows? But with a bond, you know, okay, I put 10 grand up. I have 5% a year that I'm going to get on every year for 10 years. Simple math tells you exactly what you're going to get. So when you start to look at who's buy, who tends to buy the long end of the yield curve, they tend to be very, very large, very, very, or the large buyers, I should say, they tend to be very, very conservative entities, pension funds, insurance companies. And because of that, they tend to look out at what's taking place economically. They're not gambling. They're not speculating. And when they sit there and start to say things are going bad and the bond market's sitting there saying, listen, you know, you got to you got to get a hold of these and pushes the price of the bonds up, which then pushes the yields down. It's it's what's called the flight to safety. And the flight to safety tends to, in the repo market, tends to go to liquid and, and secure, which are T-bills. But when you're looking at these insurance companies who are going and, and taking money in every month in premiums, and they're looking, okay, we're running our tables out 25 years, they're going out and buying higher rates, uh, knowing that they'll just hold it for 20 years. And if they're pushing the, the price up uh, and pushing the yield down, that shows you they're willing to pay up for uh, safety and security. And that is not a very optimistic thing for the, the economy. So that's why so many people pay attention to the long end of the yield curve. And that's where the indication is. And that's why I totally ignore what the Fed's saying. I totally ignore what Powell's saying. I know Powell's full of shit. And I, I have nothing against Powell. He's actually one of the better Fed chairs out there. I mean, he's much better than Yellen. But, you know, he's full of shit. I mean, he, he, it, he's a propagandist. He's, he's a politician. He's just, he has to maintain the narrative and pretend that they're in control. And it's like, well, if you, if QE was effective, why do you have to have more than one? It's quantitative. You should figure it out. And if QE really worked, how come the Japanese spent 20 years of QE and didn't get any inflation whatsoever? They were stuck in a deflationary spiral and they only got inflation when everybody else got it with the COVID lockdowns and the, the shutdown of the global economy. So the, the, the Fed is, is, is a propaganda organization. They don't do money. Watch the banking system. Watch the tentacles of the banking system. And I mentioned insurance company and pension funds. And they're not the banking system, but they're tied to it because they're big money players. Because, because the buying uh, Bonds on the long end of the curve pushing yields down. That's in your your views flight to safety. Well, does, does that therefore mean that you think that these guys are signaling that the economy is at risk here? I think without a doubt the the uh, inflate the 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 expectations uh, going forward are getting more and more negative based upon you know why are interest rates dropping? Uh, see, <clears throat> interest rates are a very interesting thing, and and people tend to get it backwards. He, it's a supply and demand equation. So if, if your product is in high demand, you charge a higher price, right? You got a certain amount of supply. If your product's in high demand, the price will go up. If your product's not in demand, you have to lower the price to get people to take your product. 
Well, what is the product for banks? Money. And if banks don't have a lot of high, if banks have a lot of qualified borrowers knocking at their door, they can charge more for money. When do you have a lot of qualified borrowers? When the economy is good, when things are good. When do you have not a lot of qualified borrowers? When the economy's getting bad, when people are at risk of defaulting, when people have been running up their credit cards because they, they you know, just can't get enough money. So they have to kind of cover things on the credit cards when they're late on payments, all this other stuff. This is why all of a sudden when you have bad economies, the business cycle, when you go from peak and you start heading down to the trough, bank lending tightens up, not because banks don't and, and interest rates drop, not because banks don't don't have the capability to lend. It's they don't want to. And the demand is not there because to them, demand is qualified. You know, it has to be qualified borrowers. Anybody will take money. Anybody who has, you know, your qualified borrowers are sitting there saying, bad economy. I'm not going to go into a new market. I'm not going to open up a second restaurant. I'm not going to take on a boat loan. I'm not going to do this. Smart money, smart people don't do that. I mean, the idiots always say, give me more, give me more, give me more. I'll run into debt till you stop giving me money. Well, the banks look at it. And, and in this environment, a CFO who's going to go for a small manufacturing firm who's going to sign off on a $25 million mortgage, if his CEO walks in right now, he's looking at the economy saying, get out of here. We're not signing a mortgage in this environment. We'll wait 18 months. And that's what a lot of these companies do. So this is why when people start to look and say, okay, what's the economy doing? I look at the banks. I look at how the banks are, are acting. I look at how their lending is going. I don't give a shit what the Fed says. The Fed says, hey, we'll give you all these reserves so you can increase your lending. Well, that hasn't been in place since March of 2020, since they did away with the reserve requirements. These banks can print as much money as they want, you know, because they can make as many loans as they want. The problem is the banks are sitting there saying, no fucking way are we lending. We're not going to do that. So if the banks are going the other direction and getting very conservative, that tells you where we're going because you can't expand the economy without money. And the Fed can't do it as much as Powell wants to sit up there and say, we have everything covered. He doesn't have shit covered. Do, do, you, think, do you think that crypto could come in in the next couple of years and take up some of the reins here and actually improve the economy or, or is it is it too late and we're going to end up in a period of i don't know deflation or like stagnation for a, a good number of years until crypto is able to take over crypto, crypto, crypto. Uh, i i i think ultimately <clears throat> the problem with the euro dollar system is it's it, i think it's permanently broke it, it worked for 50 years it's not going to be recaptured so i think digital assets are the only solution that i can see out there and I think the systems that we are looking at building, that we talk about, looking at implementing, I think that is a solution. I think first off, in terms of the need for greater liquidity, the solution to balance sheet constraint, uh, I think that comes from crypto. I think that comes from the idea of crypto creating trillions upon trillions upon trillions in value that can be used to fund what needs to be funded. And that could be done in different ways through direct investment, through lending, through you know different mechanisms. But that I think is really where crypto can step in because we have a system globally 
from the way I understand the system, and again, this is the wholesale offshore banking system, the shadow banking system, the euro dollar system, whatever term you want to apply to it. This is outside. And, and keep in mind, this, this international banking cartel system, this is outside the reach of any government. This is outside the reach of any central bank. Does that sound familiar? What is Hive? Out of the reach of any government, outside the reach of any central bank. What is VSC going to be? Outside the reach of any government, outside the reach of any central bank. So we already have the roadmap. We already have the model. But the problem is, is the euro dollar system, the offshore dollar system, it, it's been broken to the point where I don't think it can be fixed. And I think that's really where crypto and digital assets step in. Now, how long it takes, what type of time frame it is. I mean, listen, we're in a business cycle, I think, globally, that we're going from the peak and we're going to head down to the trough. This is just business cycles. Business cycles have been going on for a thousand years. You know, the, the central bankers, Karl Marx, many people think gold bugs, they think they can can stop the business cycle. You can't. The business cycle always wins. Milton Freeman, I'm uh, not Milton Freeman, um, uh, what was the central banker? Uh, anyway, um, Volcker, Paul Volcker, and, uh, you know, rediscovering the business cycle. He wrote a paper on that. Uh, what we have is we have a situation where, yeah, there's going to be recessions. You're going to have times when the economy, you know, goes downhill. That's the business cycle. It's tied to human psychology, I believe. You know, we always forget the last bus. So when the bull market's taking place, we get all excited. We keep buying, 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 you know, whether it's real estate, whether it's art, whether it's, you know, crypto stocks, we buy at the top and then all of a sudden everything stops one day, but we're still buying, buying, buying. And then all of a sudden it crashes. You know, we just overextend. This is human nature. Uh, so the economies have a self-correcting mechanism, Adam Smith's uh, invisible hand. So I think we're going to have some headwinds in that regard. But crypto, forget the price, forget the market, forget bulls and bears. Crypto, in terms of the fundamentals, the building out of these systems, the building out of these networks, I think digital assets, and I use the term digital assets because cryptocurrency, I think is misleading. The only currency really, in my opinion, is stable coins. These other things are value capture, they're NFTs, whatever. They have different use cases. But I think ultimately, there's your form of collateralization, funding, lending. So I think there's a tremendous opportunity for this realm. Um, are we going to stop an impending recession? No. But can we take HBD to follow up what you guys were talking about earlier over the next five years and create a economy for Hive, let's say, that is robust, that's thriving, and that has, you know, billions and billions of dollars of economic productivity tied to HBD? I think that's absolutely, absolutely possible. Will that have an impact globally? Well, billions of dollars on the global scale is a drop in the bucket. But I think collectively, all of this, once you start getting the, the, the digital asset realm into, I don't know, uh, it's got to be bigger than gold, but probably about the 20 trillion range, then you have some serious capital to work with. So, you know, Dan, Dan and I often um, conspiracy theorize, let's say, about the fact that Bitcoin's got a high fee base layer and from all intents and purposes and observable in, in the market at the moment, uh, the layer two is KYC. So it's very convenient that 
the Lightning Network, the successful Lightning Network entities, at least, the ones with scale. And if you do need to scale, you need to register with business anyway, which means you're subject to KYC rules. It seems that the, the, the Lightning layer on layer two is for, for the plebs, for us plebs to transact in Bitcoin is KYC. And it seems that Bitcoin is captured because it's got a high fee base layer, so only the rich or only the bankers can use it. Ethereum's a similar thing. It's got a lot of VC investment, all registered entities in the USA. Most of them signal for OFAC compliance. Um, so you can pretty much consider Ethereum's, if if it's not right now, it will be in the future captured by the bankers, right? And it's like, well, okay, they, they're going to get what they want from those chains. Whether or not they work efficiently because of the things like transaction fees on them, um, I don't know. I guess that's yet to see. And I guess there's a few bankers kind of crapping themselves at the moment because they're not really sure. There's a big limbo going on as this, as this transition takes place. Do you think that Hive will provide a solution to that? You know, is, is, is it going to be able to come and say, hey, it's feeless, you know, it's decentralized, it's neutral, there's no, it's out of, like you're saying, out of the reach of any central bank. So it's more useful. You know, there's actually a use case for you guys here that's way beyond anything you can achieve on any, any of the other chains. Um, do you think that it could therefore capture a good chunk of the market, you know, or is this something that's going to be shared between a lot of the other chains and most of this action is going to be on something like Ethereum? Well, I, I think you're, you, it's a matter of time frame. I, I think ultimately... What ends up happening is, I think, decentralization long-term, decentralization and distributed long-term wins out. That's my opinion. I believe centralization can win in the short term because it's more efficient. But in the long term, decentralization wins because it's more innovative. Uh, and the banks, banks are innovative, but they're only innovative in a certain way, they're innovative with their products, they're innovative in the way they make money, but they're really not looking at fundamentally changing the system. Obviously, those who are building uh, like on Hive or building some of the things that we talked about, Voltec uh, with VSC, uh, and there's others out there, uh, they're taking a different approach and they're looking at building something that fundamentally changes the system. And so what I think ultimately will happen is you're absolutely correct. I think many of these chains that we're seeing out there, I think you guys nailed it. Now, whether it was by design, whether it was just this is the way banks operate and they're big and they're, they're very smart and they know what they're doing. And so they saw the opportunity and come in and started capturing things. Uh, you know, I don't know which, which it is. That's kind of like the chicken or the egg at the end of the day. Who cares? You, you have a chicken, you have an egg. And right now we have a block, we have a number of blockchains that get a lot of attention. But you're right, the banks, if they don't control them now, they will be in control. Uh, Wall Street will be in control. And they're buying up Ethereum, which means, you know, with the, the voting mechanism now based upon stake, well, guess what? They're, they're going to control that. They're going to control the Lightning Network. Um, you know, Lightning Network, as you guys talk about, is not incentivized. There's no incentive on layer two. All the incentive is to the miners. Well, that's a problem because who's going to run infrastructure if it's not incentivized? The answer to that is people who can monetize in other ways. And if you're Chase, okay, well, I'll pay to run a mining, uh, a, a Lightning node or a series of Lightning nodes. And now they're going to see Chase all over the place, and we're going to offer them Chase products and Chase credit cards. So I would say, yes, you, you are absolutely correct on that. 
And this is one of the reasons why I'm so optimistic on Hive, because it is kind of an oasis out there in terms of the centralization, decentralization. And I certainly don't do the research Dan does and the game theory Dan does and looking around at what's going on. Um, I kind of stick in my own little world. But just from what I can gather and then listen to you guys each week, it doesn't sound like you guys are coming across too many other chains that fit the criteria of what we're building here. And then you go to layer two and you start talking about Voltec, you start talking about disregard, you start talking about VSC and speak. That's also stuff you don't really see out there. And I think at the end of the day, it boils down to, can they take a sledgehammer plan? And with Hive as it stands now, I don't see how they can do it because even though it's not big and people say, well, what if they go after, what if the U.S. government wants to go after the nodes? Okay, what nodes are you going to capture? You could capture some in the U.S. You might, might get a block trade to, to back off. But what do you do about a Cidio? Who the hell is a Cidio? Where is a Cidio? What's in the Cidio? I, I mean, you know, I don't know. I can't answer that. Um, what do you do about the Cuban note? Do you think the Cubans, <laughs> you think Manny really cares what the U.S. government says in Cuba? No. <laughs> do you think the Cuban government cares what the U.S. government says? No, not really. So, you know, this is where when you have, and this is why I go back to the euro dollar system and the bankers give us the recipe. When you have this system that is outside the reach of any government or the central banks and they can't do squat about it. And by the way, just because we have HBD doesn't mean we are following the Fed. We are just uh, using that as the price stability. There's no dollars involved in HBD. So when people say, well, we got to get rid of HBD and change it from the dollar, it's like there's no dollars involved. And so these are the things that if you understand the banking system and you understand to get away from the dollar, the entire banking system would have to change all their infrastructure to something else. And that's not going to happen. In the meantime, we build the new infrastructure that we have that global coverage, we control the ledgers, and then we start building stuff on top, side chains, layer two, some private, some not private. I mean, not everything has to be public. So there may be applications or there may be stuff built on Speak or VSC that isn't public where data is not all put out there and fully transparent because there are applications where you don't want private information, that type of thing. So there's going to be many different realms in this. And I think the, the big point will come when we start and, and use the idea of digital assets, when we start replicating not only the funding, but then you start to get into synthetic assets, you start creating different assets, maybe you get mortgages. Well, you don't really need mortgages because you use your, your, your own assets for a loan that people buy a house. So you don't use the house as the collateral, you use, you know, your H, you, you use your hive as collateral. But once we start to get these things integrated and we start to create these own, these products ourselves, then you're then you're the banking system and, and the banking system. You know, people talk about banking on bank in a digital wallet and that that that's important. But that's not where this that that that's that's not where the meat and potatoes are. The meat and potatoes are what we're talking about here. And that has to be built. That ha requires infrastructure. It requires a lot of thought. It requires a lot of decentralization, because guess what? You don't want that bullseye on your chest. And if you say, well, I'm decentralized and you're not. And you have that bullseye in your chest and 
okay, the SEC shown up, that's bad news. The IRS shown up, that's bad news. The Department of Defense shows up, that's awful news. You got to be resilient. Forget Gensler. You got to be resilient to the DOD or or to some of those entities. The security apparatus showing up and knocking on your door. And I guarantee you, Charles Hoskinson and Cardano, he will he will wilt up and, and get in the fetal position if people like that knock on his door. He can talk all he wants about you know, well, this that the other thing. He's got a bullseye on his chest. Hive doesn't have that. He's already built that into his system. You know, he's open about it. He, he, he's built all the regulatory KYC stuff into the blockchain. So when you do a transaction, it will automatically ask you that information. You know, it's all compliant, you know, regulatory compliant. It's, 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 horrendous. it's a horrendous idea. It's completely against what the, the technology was created for. Yeah. yeah. Why, well, let me, I just want to say um, that's why Hive's reputation system is so important because we're distributed enough, we've done enough in communities worldwide that if the bankers were to try to buy Hive and run their own node, first of all, there'd be the one month they'd have to get by. Because I believe if anyone, for good or bad, it doesn't matter who you are, if you power up a centralizing amount of stake, you are automatically a threat and you should not get governance um, vote. So if anybody in that one month period was to power up that much Hive, we would be able to stop it anyway. Keep in mind, they would have already bought it, so the price would have skyrocketed to get that amount of Hive anyway. And then they would have their Hive frozen because they would have been attacking the chain. So we put in parameters to really stop any kind. And worst case, if they do get through through sneaky measures, um, the reputation system is the backbone because it's all open source software. And we already know our guys. We already know who's who and who's going to do what. We've seen that in practice with um, the last battle. It was a seamless transition. We didn't have to say, oh, who's who. So we're prepared. That's for sure. Well, and, and just to follow up on that idea, what I've always maintained is, and, and again, derivatives have a, a bad word, but a wrap token is, is really a derivative. So, I mean, just so people understand. But this is where I always say you want to keep pushing things further and further out. And so like you and I, Matt, we, we've had some discussions about HBD uh, going back and forth at, at different times. And one of the things that I think is very important, and you guys brought it up with the SIP, uh, Leo is doing certain things with, with their uh, permanent liquidity pool for Hive and, and uh, Leo. I guess it would be for you know Hive and, and Leo on, on BSC. As you push more and more of this stuff out, and as you start to get this stuff and derivatives piled on top, it, it, it provides you a layer of resistance because if they go after, uh, let's say, BHBD or if they go after Beehive and they nuke that up, it's like, well, who cares? <laughs> okay, so they nuked it on BSC. They took a liquidity pool. They went in there. They played their games and blew it up. But that's not HBD. That's BHBD. And by the way, over here on the internal market, what's happened with HBD? Oh, it's still, you know, 99.7 cents. Uh, so these are things that as you start to grow and you start to get these tentacles out there and you start to look at these different funding mechanisms. And I always use Dan as an example in his, his gambling app. If, if he has a gambling app that, you know, he, he wants to get into a high, high stakes poker game on, on Sunday on a whim, well, he's going to keep 
I don't know, whatever, two, three, 5,000 HBD, whatever levels he's playing at, he's going to keep that HBD there and he's not going to convert it high. He's not going to convert anything else because all of a sudden, two o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, he logs on and says, oh, here's a poker game I want to jump in. And he's not going to go sell Hive to get HBD to move it over to get it. He's, he keeps it in his wallet. Those people in Sucre, the same thing. So all of this builds into the, the resiliency, and that makes it that much tougher to, to target because is the Venezuelan government going to go after the people in Sucre? No. Uh, is, is the U.S. government going to go after the Cubans? No, the Cubans aren't going to listen. And all of this, as we keep building out and we follow this model and this mindset of just building outside these governments, building outside the central banks and creating these things that in a truly decentralized manner, then they can pass all the regulation they want. I mean, Elizabeth Warren can spout off and do whatever the hell she wants. You can't touch it. And the reason you can't touch it is even if Hive wanted to comply, we can't. Who the hell's going to fill out the paperwork? Name, don't have one. Address, don't have one. Phone number, don't have one. I mean, you know, Dan, are you going to fill out the paperwork? No, not, not in the least. He'll take the form and use it to, to, to burn or whatever. It doesn't matter. So these are the things that if – when I start to, to, and when I started writing about the high financial network and high bonds and, and some of these, I didn't really create new ideas. I took what was out there and I tried to, to pull it into the crypto world and take what is decentralized about the banking system, understanding that it's a banking cartel, so it's not truly decentralized, but it's decentralized among the banks. Take that idea, pull it in here. But of course, we exclude the banks. Well, you, you know, you know, I, I want to say I do. <clears throat> I think we all appreciate. Um, there's not that many guys with your knowledge that are trying to apply crypto in the right way. Like most of the guys with your knowledge are trying to figure out how to shut it down. You know, and it's like it's a rare thing when a guy like you comes along to a chain like Hive and is like, "Well, we could just re re replicate this over here." And because you're, you've got surety, because you've got experience in this, you know what you need to say to communicate how we can execute this. And I think it's, I, I have to say, I appreciate a lot of task. I think a lot of people do. Uh, and I look, I really look forward to building this out, man. I really do. It's coming. Well, it, it, it's a situation where there's so much misinformation out there and a lot of it's by design. I mean, the fed wants to create, keep their power. So they do a lot of misleading stuff. And then a lot of it's even that little, uh, uh, infograph you showed me. I mean, most people look at that. First off, it's all kinds of acronyms. So what, what, what the hell is IOER? What, what the hell is SOFA? What does this mean? So most people look at it and their eyes glaze over. Uh, and, and then you, you, you find out what IOER is, interest on excess reserves. And, oh, well, that's a real exciting topic uh, for a Saturday night. So you get these people, they look at this stuff and it's like they, their eyes glaze over because it's like it's so convoluted. But once you understand some of the basics, and that's what I try to do when I keep repeating to people is don't buy into the bullshit, understand some of the basics, understand what money is today, how it's transformed. This is not the 1920s. You know, it was like I heard all kinds of stuff about Silicon Valley Bank and a bank run. And oh, oh, everybody took their deposits because of fractional 
reserve banking and, and they don't keep the cash on hand. And it's like, do you think if when you, your company does your direct deposit, do they send somebody down your bank with, you know, 1500 bucks in, in hundred dollar bills? There's no cash in there to begin with. So what are you people talking about? And the thing is, in Silicon Valley's bank's case, the problem is they didn't have any of the, the central bank reserves. They didn't have reserve money. Uh, and that was their problem. But if we understand how these systems have changed and who's really in control and how these networks work and how the interconnectivity, and by the way, how all of this shit is a hodgepodge. Matt, I don't know if you still have a bank in, in, in the UK, but if you're in Mexico and you're using your bank card from the UK in Mexico, you know how many networks you're going through? I mean, you got network after network after network. You got the ATM network. You got the, the Central Bank of Mexico network. You got the uh, Bank of England network. You got uh, all kinds of networks. The, 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 the ATM, the bank, your bank, the bank that owns the ATM. You got all these different networks that, that you're going through and that have their own ledgers. And this stuff's been built and hodgepodged over 60 years. And here we come and we say, okay, we have Hive. It's a digital ledger. It allows us to do any transaction with anybody anywhere in the world on one network. We have HBD and that's our currency. We can send HBD to any wallet, wherever anybody is in the world. And it's one network. Holy crap. You tried doing that. You tried to, to send the money from your bank account in England to Dan's bank account in the United States, Mexico, wherever Dan has a bank account. You tried to do it and see how many, you tried doing it with Dawn Network. You can't. So we have simplified that. Now we take and we build a side chain like VSC. Then you build something right on top of VSC. And it's like, wait a second. We don't have all this all these other networks and all these players and we've removed all these intermediaries, which of course each intermediary is another point of failure. Each intermediary is a point of power where they want to exert their control. And usually the intermediaries are taken a little off the table and that's why it gets so slow. It gets expensive. You know, you got BIS, you got all these other, all, all this shit, all these alphabet things and whatnot. We don't have that. We just built, Hey, here's an application. You can go in there. You can swap Hive for BTC. Simple. It's an application. How many networks are involved? Two. An application built on a side chain that's tied to Hive. And the, the only thing on Hive is just a reference of the, I guess it would be, well, IPFS isn't really a network. So, you know, it, you're, you're dealing with no networks. Oh, well, you want to go and buy a synthetic asset? Here, here's an app. Well, how many networks are involved? Two. I mean, it's just so simple. And that that's really what we have the capability of doing. And we're already light years ahead of everybody else in terms of getting money to anywhere in the world that as long as they have an internet connection, we can send them HBD. Yeah. And they can earn it. They can earn it. At that's the other thing. There's an injection mechanism to inject it into, into different... Um... Yeah. Yeah, I support you guys fully when you talk about the distribution and, and your commitment to, to holding layer one uh, or base layer rewards because that's our distribution mechanism. It's very important to keep pushing Hive and HBD into as many different areas as we can because that's resiliency. 
and the more wallets we have out there, the more more eight hive that's out there. I, I don't give a shit if somebody has 50 HP. That person's very important because first off, yep. good luck for Dan, good luck for Dan to or, or for you to or me to to double the size of our account. But you know what? Somebody with 50 HP could get to 100 HP, then to 150 HP. They just tripled their influence. And if they're a dedicated Hivian, and as we, we saw with the Justin Sun uh, uh, attack, these people start coming out of the woodwork. They become very important when they band together. So I, I think there's just incredible potential. I, I, I always enjoyed our conversations, Matt and Dan, uh, about this stuff. I appreciated your open-mindedness because a lot of people, it's just – they show up and they believe they know what's going on because the economics profession has been talking about it for so long. And quite frankly, the economics profession has been wrong. It's like, if you look at what's going on, you want to talk about money, you better deal with the money players. And that's banks. They do money. Central banks, they don't do money because we're not in a, a uh, banknote world. Yeah. They have to do things indirectly. And that's why their monetary policy is always you know, well, we're going to fuck around with the interest rates. We're going to go and do quantitative easing or quantitative tightening. We're going to buy securities. We're going to do uh, or buy mortgage-backed securities or treasuries. And, you know, if they could inject money into the, the economy, they, they would, but they can't. And they can't make commercial banks lend. That is a big difference. We can do things as a collective market where if we want more money, we can create it. Uh, and I say as a collective market, which then the market drives what's needed, not some centralized entity where, you know, the three of us get together and say, in our all-knowing wisdom, we have to take the amount of HPD and quintuple it, or we need to constrain it. No, it's like if the market needs it, the market will create more. If the market doesn't need it, if it's too much, the market will reduce it. And, you know, collectively across the board, if we get like you guys are talking about layer two and, and tokenized communities, guess what? Now you have a community that gets together and they say, we need some money. Okay, create it. Okay, they create it. I mean, they got to build value to it, but okay, now you have something if they if their community builds value. And look at this. So we have my favorite community, Matt, the basket weavers. We haven't talked about them in a while. We yeah. get the basket token going. We, we get the basket weavers together. The community is doing a lot of things. It's active. We're posting. We're doing all kinds of stuff. The basket token has value. And, oh, it's tied to Hive or tied to VSC. And there's a lending app where we can take our basket token and we can collateralize and get a loan because we want to fund expansion within the basket community. All of a sudden, you can do it. Boom. We're our own bank. Absolutely. You know, you, you know, talking about how complicated this is, it's not that complicated. When you look at the image, right? I've, I've, I've spent a bit of time observing this volume and talking. And all it is, is just cash lenders and cash borrowers. That's what the repo loans market is. That's what we're trying to build on high. We're trying to build people who want to lend and people who want to borrow. Right. Yes, except cash can be misleading because it takes on different connotations depending on who's playing, who's in there, and what assets they're they're doing. But yes, essentially you have it, they call them buyers and sellers, but it's actually borrowers and lenders. But yes, it, it's it the repo market when I, when I come up to you and I say, okay, I'm going to buy that uh, treasury off you off of you, um, and I'm a money market fund, then I hand you cash. You give me the treasury, but then, of course, we have an agreement where tomorrow 
the entire thing reverses, except you don't give me all my cash back because I went to you and you keep a little bit off the top as the overnight interest rate where you make a little bit of money. Um, and then it gets really convoluted where it turns out it's not even your damn treasury. It came from MetLife and you're just repledging it, but you made a little bit off of it. I got the treasury that I needed. I went and worked a deal on you know interest rate swaps or whatever the hell I'm doing and everybody's happy. Now, um, this this is interesting to me because when you break it down that simply, right? It's just, it's just borrowers and lenders, right? And and everyone's got their various things they're trying to do. But ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And which, which, if you want to borrow securely, you need to provide collateral, right? And that's what Hive's going to allow you to do. And we're going to have bond mechanisms that are going to allow you to get a certain interest rate. It's great. It's a great system. It's going to be so transparent, so much more simple than than than, than the current economy. Now, in Venezuela, there's already a loans market going on there. Check this out. This, this might interest you, Task. I don't know if you've thought about this before. Um, but the, um, Enmi and the Router blockchain guys, they have a little, it's just small, small loan system. What they do is, let's say you've got um, 12, 13,000 HP, HP, right, in your account. So it takes you 13 weeks to power down. They will give you a 1,000 HP loan for one week if you give them your active key and power down to pay back the loan. Follow? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's genius it, because, because the collateral is the active key, right? They, they can't touch the active key because if they do that, the whole reputation is destroyed, right? So they're like the collateral. They, they can take the loan on because they know that the power down is happening. And so they can instantly pay the value of the, pay, the power down for that week to get the person the loan now when they need it, knowing that that's going to clear after the next power down, right? That already exists. on our, We don't even need to build any new tech to have that loans market running. It runs right now. And any of you can do that, right? That's, that's so genius. I have, I've never thought of using Hive in that way, but they are using it that way. And they are well, I, I, actually, Clyde got funded for that, and then he got sick. But he, he showed up yesterday on This Week in Hive, and he's finally over his illness or over enough where he's back to back to operation. But he, he uh, was building, uh, what did he call it, Hive Loans, I think it was called. He was actually funded by the DHF, and he says that's one of the things he has to complete. So... Yeah, I, I mean, these are all things that, that, that you have to take a look at. And not only high power, um, but, but what Dan was saying before, just think about this from, you know, the price appreciation of high. Okay, you got high power. Forget the, the use of high power as collateral, uh, although there's nothing wrong with it, but just hive itself. What happens if, you know, there's like 400 million hive out there or whatever it is, and we have you know, 160, 107 million, whatever is, is already locked up in high power. Uh, but what happens if we get, let's say, 50 million hive, liquid hive used as collateral on an application that's built? So now we're taking hive off the open market and putting it as collateral, and that's locked up for certain periods of time. And it could potentially could be locked up. I mean, you might might have a five-year repayment schedule where this stuff's locked up for five years. I mean, this is just some of the potentiality. And if you start to work the numbers on a relatively um, light inflation, and, you know, our inflation is what, like 6.75, which, you know, people say that's a lot. But if you start to think out what we're discussing here, 
it's not really a lot of hive that's being produced. And then you start locking up right. things in 10, 20, 30 million uh, uh, hive blocks. Not so much just one transaction, but you, you have, okay, some hive going over here, some hive going over there. You got the applications. Okay, all the applications on hive, they take in 25 million and they're not selling it because they need it for resource credits. Okay, there's 25 million hive off the market. Now we got 25 million as collateral locked up. And you just start going through this and you start to realize, holy crap, Price appreciation, which then, of course, price appreciation in USD terms, what does that mean? More HBD, more lending and paying out in HBD, all that stuff. And now you're starting to get those things appreciating where you can start to play in, okay, you're not going to play in trillion dollar markets anytime soon, but you start to maybe get into the billions where, holy crap, we can, we can do a lot of things and fund a lot of things. See, what we need to do is we, we need to write a pitch case for, a, for an investment bank um, to go buy Hive off the open market and convert it into HBD, make the passive APR, and maybe start a loan system just based on the one I've just described, but also to be ready and in place when the technology gets built with the bond market. I think we, we, the, 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 more, the more that we can write about what how, a, how a, an investment bank would benefit from being early in this, um, the better. Because I think that's where this is going to come. There's going to be a lot of... <laughs> I, I don't want investment banks coming in. I want to build the investment bank. I, I want to be the investment bank. I want Hive to be the investment bank. You start getting those those fools running in, and and next thing you know, it's like it, it, it's like crypto market twenty seventeen. We need Wall Street in here. We want because we want our tokens to go up. It's like you guys don't want them in. And what happened? Wall Street comes in, and it's like okay, now Bitcoin's been hijacked, Ethereum's been hijacked, all these coins have been hijacked. No, no, I've got no bother with, uh, with anyone coming in. I don't, I don't oh well, well, we can't stop right. them. But I I think uh, I think ultimately what'll happen is. We are going to end up building out and we, we will collectively end up building our own, quote unquote, investment banks because we'll, we'll offer the same services, but we'll just offer the services that, you know, we, and we have built in customers. Again, we build it for ourselves. And then as we grow, because the services grow, all of a sudden, next thing you know, it's like, okay, there's 100,000 built in customers for an application that John Smith decides to build. And he builds an application on VSC and it's like, who do you market to? Oh, the 100,000 people on Hive. Because if there's a market and you see a hole in, in the ecosystem, it's like, well, build something, fill it. It's like, well, we'll use it. We're here. Oh, I can, I can take my Hive and, and go get some liquid Hive and use that to get a loan? Great. You know, so I think that's really the future of what we're talking about because Ultimately, right now, networks are scarce. You know, we have this siloed internet and there's like six or eight or 10 companies that run the whole damn thing, Amazon and Apple and, and Facebook and all them. And they run the whole damn show. They have their silos. There, there's a handful of networks that run everything. Well, guess what? With the networks we're building, BSC, Speak, Hive, even Ethereum, all the EVMs, networks are going to be plentiful. So what is going to be scarce is the dedication, is the loyalty, is the community. I, I think you guys call it layer zero. Um, that's what's going to be scarce. 
And that's your built-in market. And I think the entire concept of businesses and market and business creation, you see it's, again, like that little town in, in, in the prairie. Um, you know, when we all show up and, and, and just say, okay, this is where we're going to be, and we all pitch our tents, it's like, well, we got to build something. So, you know, what do you do first? Though so they built the church, then they build the saloon, then they build the whorehouse, probably in that order. Then you need a general store, you need a blacksmith, you need all these other things, and they just keep building. And who uses those services? The townspeople. And it's going to be the same thing with Hive. And then as more people start to enter the ecosystem through whatever means it is, it's like, oh, cool. You mean I, ha I, I have secured lending? Yep. I have games? Yep. Yeah, I have this? Yep. I have that. What about this? Nope, we don't have that. Oh, I can build that. Knock yourself out. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. A fair point. When guys like me who can't build necessarily, I'm going to be talking. I'm I'm going to talk to banks. I think the way that you monetize this is any money, any profit you make for the banks. If the bank puts 200 million in and gets 120 million HPD, you take a cut of that, that 20 million. You know, I'm not joking. Well, the the, the the thing is, as you opened up the show. The biggest problem with Hive right now, I'm not the biggest, there, there's a lot of problems with Hive, but what, one of the glaring issues, which is fine for the, the, the time being, is what you, you said before, liquidity. And that ultimately, until we get these on-ramps and off-ramps into and out of the system, uh, it's very hard to attract capital because how the hell do you get in here? Uh, if you're in the United States, good luck. I mean, I, I unless I do an OTC deal, it's you know, there, there's there's really very little way to do it. Um, but you get these SIPs going, you get these liquidity pools going, we get all this stuff going. Yeah. Yes, when people can start to come in with millions of dollars and say, okay, I'll buy a million dollars worth of Hive and convert to HBD, then you know you have arrived. Yeah, well, I, 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 would, I would argue that, that that is available today. That is actually available already. It's built, ready to go. We just don't use it. Well, I mean, how, how are you going to get a million dollars in the hive if you're in the United States? Um, oh, well, because Binance delisted it. Binance in the U.S. never carried hive. Okay. And Binance, <laughs> Binance left the United States. <laughs> I don't know if they're coming back, but they, they left the United States with that CZ deal. You know, it, it, that's that's the big problem. And, and you know, you guys are probably right. I'm not a big fan of Bitcoin for transactions, but the liquidity is there. And I, I really hope that uh, Vault-Tec adds like Litecoin to to the, the, the menu too. But either way, I mean, Bitcoin is at least an in and out mechanism where, you know, there's liquidity there. So, um you know, but this is all part of the growth process. But I, I just say, you know, keep building, keep building. And even if people aren't devs, there's a lot of other ways we can build because it all feeds into the value of Hive. And ultimately, everything we've talked about, not everything, but a lot of what we've talked about, it becomes more of a reality, not only if we build these applications and these platforms and these the, the infrastructure, but the greater the value of Hive, the more it becomes a reality because if we're talking a three or four billion or five billion dollar market cap for Hive, that's a lot different than a hundred and twenty-five million dollar market cap for Hive. Yeah. When you just start to look at the idea of collateralization and and all this other stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think I think the, the liquidity pool that, that's built next to this Bitcoin wrapping, because I know, I know Voltec is working on a liquidity pool right now for Hive to Bitcoin and HPD to Bitcoin, and hopefully, like you say, things like Litecoin to Bitcoin. Um, it's a fairly standard model to copy once you've got the, the smart contract system running. And I think it goes into testnet. I think it's in mid-January. I think he's targeting. So that's going to come. And I think that 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 liquidity pool is going to be massive because you're going to be able to earn a lot of money from it. You know, you imagine you're staking your HPD into it, you get your 20% APR on the HPD, plus you get whatever transaction fees you get between the Bitcoin uh, HPD transactions. Um, it's going to be yeah. a nice little liquidity pool. I mean, this, what we've been talking about for the last hour or so, it's not pie in the sky stuff. I mean, I can certainly, and I, I think you can, Matt, and, and I'm, I believe Dan can at this point, you can see where we are now to where what we've been discussing and the pathway there. And, you know, obviously there's going to be some, some alligator pits and some obstacles and it's not a straight path, but we can at least see this is where we're at. We have the foundation in place and this is where we're looking at going and we can take these, these steps and work our way up the chain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's uh, spend the last 15 minutes here just going to comments in the, in the chat. I'd be interested to see your answers to some of these tasks as well. Um, so I've got questions. First thing I want to say is thanks for all your submittals on the thumbnails. Uh, my comment on that, though, is that they're all landscape. We need landscape and square because uh, it's a podcast. And we need the text to be really big because it's a podcast. So you can only see, you know, the podcast thumbnails are really small. So just bear that in mind when you're submitting your thumbnails. Um, please keep them square and landscape as opposed to just landscape. Uh, but we've been going through voting a few of those. Appreciate your submittals. So I'm going to scroll down to a set of questions here, um, see if we can find anything. On a slightly different tangent, we'll come back to this the, the collateral collateralized loans discussion in some of the questions. But one of the points I liked, I jacked this point. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, Dan, and Task as well. I jacked. I don't know if you're based in uh, El Salvador, but he says regarding the Lightning Network being a KYC tool in Venice, in, in El Salvador with so many people now using other wallets than just Chivo wallets, it's less and less the case. And as such, the Lightning Network transactions are more privacy protective than the on-chain one. That's interesting. I still pose the argument that if you want to scale a Lightning Node um, uh, business, you'll eventually have to have a business model to cover your costs. Um, if that's taking fees or if, it's that, if that's um, mining Web2, data and selling it i don't know but you're gonna to have to have a business model if you want to scale your node and then you'll have to register and you'll have to kyc you'll be forced to kyc um i might be wrong you know i appreciate if people using other wallets in chivo in el salvador now then maybe it's there's like a push back where it's going towards more privacy but i think ultimately the government's going to be able to regulate that back to a privacy a non-privacy based system yeah i think um you'll see them pop up out of need where people actually will run them at a loss, but then eventually you'll have the banks come in, offer the same service, um, and people will just use that. So that's the problem with the Lightning Network is there's no incentives. So yeah, while somebody might be benevolent right now, eventually they need to monetize. And um, as you know, Tass was saying about the bank, they can monetize you in a million different ways, whereas um, personal Lightning nodes, and that doesn't even account for the fact um a lot of them are going to be attacked. So you might have a what you would deem like a black market or an off, 
off-market type lightning network place, but it's going to be dominated by centralization simply because it's a heavy, risky operation. It's not technically easy. You have to always have it running. There's a cost and, you know, eventually you might become a target. So why would anybody do that unless they have incentives? And if they don't have incentives, they'll just go with decentralized option rather than do all of that. In fantasy land, a lot of people be like, yeah, yeah, we'll run it forever for free, but that's just not how it works in practice. Eventually, people will sub, you know, submit to the KYC um, because there won't be any other options if there's well, you know, something like Hive, at least. Yeah, that, that's the point, that the VSC and Hive side of it will, will solve that problem. So we can go to Bitcoin. and uh, well, That's one of the things that Voltec's looking at is the one we're looking at is how do we market this Bitcoin, Phoenix Bitcoin transactions? We can go to the Bitcoin community without even mentioning the word Hive and just say, look, we've got, we've got a solution here. Um, it, it's specifically a, a, an alternative to Lightning, and it works, and it's free, and it's private, and it's non-KYC, and, anyone, and you don't need to run it like. So I think that could be very interesting, especially, especially if we've got the, um, the massive multi-sig account. I think that could be really interesting on Hive. Um, Let's jump to another question here. Uzoma24 says, Repos is sort of lending arrangement. This one's probably for you. He says, thanks, Taskmaster, for the insights. I haven't heard of this before until now. We'll research more on it. Question, what, this is going to be interesting from your point of view, Task. Um, let's assume we've built the, let's assume we've, assume we've built the repo loan system on, on Hive. Uh, question, what happens if the seller fails to repurchase assets on the agreed day? What happens if someone fails to pay their loan? Well, that, that's why it's collateralized. That's why it's well. It, it, there's two things that that happen. It, it depends. There, there, and and we've talked about this. First is the collateralization. So this is why I said credit isn't a big deal. They don't care who it is because I just care. Is it liquid? If I take it back as collateral, can I unload it and get my money out when the market's open? That's number one. Number two is reputation. And, and Dan mentioned that we we've talked about this reputation. Again, when you're talking a bank-to-bank situation, and actually you're talking a banker-to-banker situation on the bilateral agreement, if Dan and I enter into an agreement, a bilateral agreement, it's going to be based upon our reputation with each other. And so based upon that, we have to make the decision of what we want and, you know, do, do, do we trust each other? And if we have a 30-year relationship with each other, yeah, it's no big deal. If Dan screwed me over three weeks ago, get lost. I'm hanging up the phone. Yeah, and that's, that's what's interesting to me, especially because it's on a blockchain. It's, it's public, and if you don't pay your loans back, you'll lose your collateral, but you'll also have a massive dent to your reputation. Um, so, yeah, it's far more transparent, far more account. Uh, and the system itself will just automatically know, okay, this was a return date. It didn't return on that date. Therefore, deposit collateral to... Uh, loaners account. Let's have another question. Um, Alex Rourke, shout out to Alex if you're in the room still. Uh, yeah, there he is. Steve Trost in the room as well. Nice to see you here. So many people listening. It's really, really cool. Uh, saw the little butterfly earlier. Bill Prague, you, you bong. You've been very active recently. Appreciate you, man. Metal G, both of NC, Sunica. Oh, they're all here. They're all here. Um, Alex Rourke says, question, look at this chart. Hive Powered Up has gone from 140 million HP in 2020 to 171 million HP now. What are some incentives we can push to in- increase the rate of Hive Power being accumulated <coughs> in the chart that is posted by DAO? Any thoughts from you guys on that? 
I, I think it resource credits ultimately drive it. I mean, that's what we're but, doing. We have, to, we have to accumulate hives and power up too. Yeah. I, I got to run, guys. So I'm going to let you all go. All right. So, well, we're, we're going to finish in eight minutes anyway, but um, it's been, been a pleasure to have you on, bud. And uh, thanks for your thoughts and your, your, your vast knowledge on this stuff. It's, uh, it's great to have a chat with you. Appreciate okay. It. Ciao, guys. See you later. Um, pleasure to us. Another couple of questions, then we'll call an end to the show. God, uh... Eliani says, uh, the nature of blockchain allows for a borderless financial ecosystem. How might the adoption of blockchain-based repos impact global finance and what challenges or opportunities this presents? Well, in my opinion, um, basically, I mean, we discussed it a little bit during the show, but it provides transparency to the financial network. It simplifies it because it's one network instead of multiple different ones bolted together. I think initially we're going to get pushback from the system, but I think there's opportunities for the current system to move across and start using. I think that they're currently kind of getting used to the idea of using Ethereum. I think that's where they're going to try and replicate the system. But this is far superior to what Ethereum can do, and the user experience is far superior. So if they're using the fee system and the proof of stake um, distribution to con to control to secure power, that's one thing. They could do that with Ethereum. They can't do that with Hive, but they can certainly have a much better user experience on Hive and have a much cheaper product. Um, so it depends on what they want to go for, really. But like, like Tass says, we'll, we could end up easily building our own bank here. For this. Uh, so many comments. So really appreciate it. We'll try and upvote as many as we can that are, that are good. Another one. Question from Uyabong. Rock Roll can decentralize the governance model for Hive. For instance, play in shaping the rules and regulations governing blockchain-based repo transactions. Will it follow the state-based polling system we have on Hive, and how will this fare on Hive Layer 2? Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting question because you're going to have the Layer 1 governance, and that's going to decide what goes onto the Layer 1, right? And it's going to decide various, various different parameters of how the Layer 1 interacts with Layer 2. But the Layer 2, which this will be a Layer 2 system built on top of Hive, um, I shouldn't call it a layer two like density. It'll just be a separate layer. But if it if it decides to release its own governance token, maybe that's where it ends up going. And then the governance will be a case of you know the more you use, the more liquidity you put through the loans layer, the more of the governance tokens of the loans layer you can get hold of. And therefore, you know, you're obviously providing value by putting volume through the system, so you should have some form of um, both. That sounds like a little, a little bit like proof of stake. So I don't know. I don't know the answer to that fully, but it's certainly something we'll be able to experiment with. Two more questions here, and then we'll close the show. Um, looking forward to your square. If any of you haven't submitted a square thumbnail during the show, um, we'll go back through when we upload the video and, and go back and upvote as well. So don't worry about submitting it directly during the show if you haven't had time to create a square. IJAT says, question, after the CBDCs have been rolled out, some analysts say private banks will need to manage a above all crypto assets. What would you think of, let's say, JP Morgan using the repo loans market on high? I personally have no problem with that. I think that's a great thing. I think we should be um, targeting, because they've already got the business, they've already got the relationships with clients. Um, for me, the important thing is that the high base layer remains. The problem with things like Ethereum is that the VC capital has the control over the chain and they're all registered in the USA. So they'll comply. Um, Hive's a, it's a weird beast, you can't do that now. So if a bank comes in, there's no VC capital. So a bank comes in, they won't be able to just like comply, make force the chain into compliance. But they'll be able to use the tools that are built on top of the chain. And I don't see why we shouldn't treat everyone the same, a bank, a, a private investor, 
a normal hive user should all get the same rights on the layer one to access these tools. And the beauty, the beauty of this is as well, you know, you guys are going to be able to use your own hive and your own HPD and your own HPD bonds to go and put them into these markets and make even more passive. Um, everyone's going to have the same right to do that. You, know? you don't have to be an accredited, accredited investor. Bond. The last question here, House of David says, how does repo loans work? And is it an online loan that's meant for cryptocurrency? And what is involved when it comes across the loan? What do you have? What do one have to use Glass? Um, I think we've basically answered that during the show, but the collateral is going to be HBD bonds. When HBD bonds or, or time vaults are released, hopefully in the next fall, maybe the one after, um, then we'll be able to use those as collateral to go get. And basically what it means is you stake your HBD bond at risk, saying, hey, give me some liquid money that I can go use. I'll pay you a fee and I'll give you the, the bond as collateral. And if I don't pay the loan back, then it makes the loan the loaner more. It makes the bot the borrower more secure. All right, I'll read one more here from Holler. Taskmaster's take on narrative concepts is key and should be adequately analyzed for better understanding. Yeah, I agree. He says one, swapping Bitcoin narrative and two, increased services-based narrative and so on. Yeah, the, this is what's going to happen. The narratives, there's going to be multiple narratives on Hive and it's going to be based on the services that Hive produces and uh, may the best narrative prevail. <laughs> All right, cool. Any closing thoughts from you, Dan? No, well, it's a good talk. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for the participation. Great turnout. So we'll go yep. back in as much as we can on the thread. But the thread was down for a little while because I think hard nodes are playing up. Yeah, I'm having issues with it, but I think it's working again now. So. We're on. Let's see how many comments we have. 474 comments. Not bad considering the node was down for half the show. Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's good to see. Um, all right. That's it. I'm going to call into the show here. Thank you. Ah, hold on, hold on. Before we close, let's just spend a couple of minutes. Manfred's been trying to get in and out. I'll just add Manfred as a speaker, see if he's got something to say here. Hey, Manfred, can you hear us? Hey, yeah. Am I on? Yep. How's it going? Hey, so there was just one thing that was bothering me all the time. I think um, for the definition of a narrative of the Hive blockchain and, and maybe an idea on how to handle it, we might have a little bit of a problem with the the extent of the language in the blockchain space where Hive is basically like an energy network, like an energetic network for like a digital society. And to get down to the different types of energy that are potentially saved in such a network makes it uh, kind of impossible to find one fitting narrative. But what you can say certainly is, since everything is frictionless, you can go from any type of uh, proof of brain directly to US dollar or back to some wrapped Bitcoin without losing anything of the value. So it's it's quite fitting to call it an energetic network or an energy network for a digital society because the criteria would be to say, okay, energy is something that if the shape and form of an object changes, the energy is always staying the same. And that's certainly certainly the case on the Hive blockchain. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I mean, I've looked at it as that as well. I've always called it like a, it's a competition for resources, which is a similar principle. Um, it's Or it's like a, a social interaction uh, system. 
And every social interaction has value. Um, so the more social interaction you have on Hive, the more value you're locking up or energy you're locking up. Well, it's very interesting to look at the use cases that are actually natural to this blockchain that you can't find anywhere else. Like where you have, you can go and, and use your NFTs and transform them pretty quick to some US dollars or you write something interesting and people vote it up and all of a sudden you can buy a coffee with it. And that's something you see nowhere else. And I think if you want to have like like a leading narrative where you go out and say, okay, well, what are we? And I think the wording is, is very important. And the word energy network is, is very generic. And there has to be done some work to define it between all the things we have at the moment. It's kinetic, potential, thermal, chemical, electrical, nuclear, radiant. I mean, now we have in the, in the blockchain space, there will be something like reputational energy that you can have stored. And um, maybe you, you have some some history behind your your identity that that has some some energy stored in, in a kind of a a way that's unique and new and needs a new definition. And then you have this digital society, and it's basically the wallets create this digital society, but the, the energy itself, so the energy network is not digital. The the energy is just the energy, and we can transform or metamorph any type of energy with this frictionless blockchain system, especially if, if you have these side chains, chains with um, wrapped assets as well. And they, they might be wrapped physical assets or whatever. It's really uh, open to the entrepreneurs to get out and, and just wrap things. I mean, you could go and just put a script out to buy stuff on eBay Like if somebody sends a certain amount of lightning as a set, so sets or HBD to an address and with the memo, it could be a script running and buying something on eBay and starting to send it out. It's, everything's possible if you have a frictionless system, you know? So that's that's why I'd say, yeah, Hive is more like an, an energy network. It's, it's an interesting point. I mean, I, I take your point. The only thing I take issue with is the idea of like harvesting energy and stuff like this. I just feel like it's a little bit, 1984 um but i think i think the principle of what you're saying is correct and i think there's probably some 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 form of language you could put around that there that, that, that sounds quite appealing yeah i agree i mean ultimately you're right it's frictionless so you can have transfer of value with zero zero losses so it's it's a it's either a value capture or an energy capture chain where you're transferring very interesting i, th I think i think your point on What is it that Hive can do that other chains can't? Like, for example, if I go buy a coffee and I post it to chain and I post it to Twitter and I say, mm, HBD never tasted so good. And then people vote that, they vote that blog and I make the money for the coffee back. That, no other chain can do that. You know, so it's that type of thing. Yeah, because they're not really an energetic network in, in, in the pure sense. Because if you have losses on the way on every corner, mm. you're not preserving the energy. But Hive is very good at, at yeah. exactly that. Like that, that's the, yeah, the, the, the correct language I'd say that sounds appealing in English is something like an energy, energy conservation network or something like that, or a value preservation network. But it's basically what made cash good. If you go to a store and buy something with cash, you, you, you yeah. don't lose cash value on the way. There's a price tag on it and you can pay in cents or can pay in a, in a dollar bill or some, something paper and you get the same amount of, of goods. And that's, That's ultimately what, what cash is supposed to be. It's supposed to be an energy transfer mechanism, right? Your energy stored in the cash. But it's, yeah, you, you see Rune is trying to do 
things um, for exchange, energy exchanges between chains, I would say. Like you get in, everything is like coupled to rune, but, but you have friction. <laughs> and we don't have friction. We could have all kinds of different energy harvesting mechanisms and no friction in between. I mean, I, I don't know anything even comparable. I mean, even if I, I would try to sit down and for a week and think about it, uh, that's nothing. I mean, the cool thing here with, with this narrative is that um, everyone saw this a couple of weeks ago when we were all sending Bitcoin between each other, you know. Even people off-chain don't really use it. I sent some Bitcoin to Jose Pimpo, uh, who's quite a famous influencer here in Mexico. And he was just like, what? Like, just click, click, confirm the thing on Keychain, key and it's gone. And then it comes to his account. Yep. That's it. It's like, oh, because when you try and do that on Ethereum, it, it's you. I mean, you want to see the difference between friction and frictionless. <laughs> you know, it's definitely something. Interesting points, man. Um, any other points from you? Because we're gonna, we need to close up the show. No, thanks for letting me speak for a second. It's very, it's always a pleasure. Yeah, good. I appreciate you putting those ideas in our minds, man. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. End of the show. See you all next week. Later.